It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric from Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The stories in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this year. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Line with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. And DJ Ruscha. I have a great thought. It's The Net Live right now. Yes, Jeremy, yes. That was really good timing by you. Just got to jump off the conference call, buddy. Got to come in and do the show. Coming in hot. You know what's good about this? You and I normally, for a half an hour talk before the show, we waste all of our good material. We get on air. It sounds like crap. Haven't said one word to each other. This is going to be better. You and I haven't seen each other all week. I'm sure this is going to be fun. We even have somebody 10 minutes away, he says. I know. I tweeted about it. Yeah, he's driving three hours uh, in traffic to get here this morning. Reed Pretty will be joining us live. Can he he go carpool? Isn't uh, Caden in the car? Uh, Caden is in the car, so maybe that maybe that will help. I, I hope. I hope he gets here a little bit quicker. And now I've got reverb going here because I have the show booted up. Thanks to you for booting up the show and tuning in. We hope you're getting this uh, live. If you're in your office and bored and not paying any attention to work, would rather listen to us. That's fantastic. Or if you're getting us via iTunes and driving around in your car, hopefully we can keep you entertained. It was a good week of volleyball. This has uh, been a very interesting week. Because we had AVP Cincinnati. Yep. We had the Men's World Championships get underway. Yep. We had week one of women's college volleyball. Mm-hmm. Some crazy scores and upsets. We will have college volleyball weekly later with Brandon Rosenthal and reportedly Vinny Lopes. We will see. Nice. Uh, this, was, uh, this was another good week, much like when we came back last week and had a lot to talk about. This is another good week to be a volleyball fan. I feel like we were off a week. So, much, so, much, ha- so much has happened since the last time I was here. Yeah, it's unusual. I, this late season push, I, I kind of like. We talked about the ABP schedule being so late, so mm-hmm. backloaded, right? Mm-hmm. But I kind of like that it's overlapping right now with World Championships. You can get into a rhythm. It's it's like playoff time with the NBA yeah. or NFL playoffs when you have a bunch of games going. You kind of get in that rhythm of, hey, what's going on in volleyball? Yep. If there's only one thing and you're into something else... Then you forget about it. But if I'm into AVP Cincinnati, I go, wait a minute. The men's team is happening as well. And it's on TV, so you can watch it. I saw the end of the fifth set this morning. I forgot to set my recorder. I was kind of ticked. How but fortunately, uh, it lasted all the way through because it started at 4 a.m. local time. How'd Taylor Anderson do? <laughs> I, can't, I can't do this. <laughs> you don't want to? Mika? You, you don't want to start off that one already? Uh, the best part. We'll, we'll get there. The best part was when you text me. The announcing is awful. I was sitting next to Dustin Abel, the AVP announcer, and I showed it to him, and he was all butthurt because he thought you were talking about him because we were live yeah. casting at that point. I was like, I don't think he's talking about you. And oh, then yeah. I saw the next text come in. I was like, oh. I got some calls from people in the broadcast world, and I was laughing as I picked up the phone. Yeah, because you knew what they were calling you about. I knew exactly why they were calling. And I, I will not get into the weeds on this. I hope that you <laughs> and Reed do. And... Be my proxy, please, on this issue. This morning, I watched a bit this morning. There must have been some notes sent, and some things changed, some things did not. Uh, But this morning was better, let's say. So, and when you mean better, like, are we talking, like, night and day better? No. Okay. No. We're talking, like, middle of the night 
and now maybe it's creeping towards 5 a.m. The okay. sun might come up sometime right. soon. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I just, oh, God. It was tough. As a, as a fan, forget as a something I do as a profession that I value being good at, getting better at. But just as a fan, I was aghast. <laughs> Look that word up, A-G-A-S-T. Look it up in your electronic device. I was aghast at what was happening. And if I'm USA Volleyball, I am I not happy. I guarantee USA Volleyball said something to them. Guarantee it. They have to have heard about it because I know people were all over the Internet. I was checking social media, Volley Talk, so on. People were, people were on top of it. Nice. They were on top of it. Uh, but anyway, the United States men... We'll get to him. Off to a good start. We'll have Reed Pretty here, and I'm sure he will have uh, maybe some measured opinions about his teammates. Measured. Measured. The wider world of sports, Jeremy, underway. College football, underway. <sighs> High school football, underway. I spent my Friday night doing Fox football, which was a blast. Glad to be back in that. Not ready for football season. They call it week zero in high school. I don't get that. How is that possible? You know, it's fine if you want to say the first week, but then you get into, well, this is week two. No, it's actually called week one, but it is week two of action, which gets very confusing. Nobody has a week zero except high school football here. It should just be week one, right? It's like games and sets. doesn't make sense. <laughs> I'm not sure it's quite like yep, games Yep, it's exactly sets, like that, it? Kevin. It's not just like that. It's exactly like that. Uh, we have word that BJ Evans spoke to some producers down there at Good. the BN Sports Network. Uh, yeah, it's uh, week zero, but I, I had fun. I'm, I'm excited for football. I still, and I've said this before, I don't feel like football season should be 85 and sunny, which is what it was this weekend. <laughs> well, because you're thinking Chicago-style football where there's snow on the ground. Yeah, well, and it's fall yet. and leaves are changing. Yeah, it's a, it's a regional thing. It's definitely a regional thing that – It should be crappy outside. It should be raining. Maybe not week one, but by week four or five. Is that seven or eight because it's week zero? I'm confused now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It should be kind of crappy outside, windy, nasty. You don't want to go out. You yeah. just want to stay inside, have some good food, and watch the Bears win. That's what you want to do. We could have come to Cincinnati this weekend. It wasn't miserable temperature-wise, but uh, we had some rain. Yeah, I saw that. I saw yeah. you had a little plastic on your, your little computer. plastic on the computer. Um, glad I put a towel over my keyboard at one point because a good mm, thirty minutes later, you might as well have just taken a cup of water and dumped it on my keyboard. Who does the rain benefit with the players as far as conditions changing? You know, I was thinking about that. Rain's the great equalizer. Really? So some, I think it benefits the lower seated teams because weirder things happen. Weirder things like, I mean, the ball gets a little heavier if it gets really wet. But these new balls, they're better than the Spaldings used Correct. to be. That if you touched them, they were like a, a kitchen sponge. Talking to some of the players, they just had to remind themselves, like, you have to exaggerate everything. Oh, to push the ball Push through. the ball, make okay. sure you push it through quicker, like wrist snap, as opposed to throwing your entire shoulder into the hit and, you know, leaving your shoulder out there on the sand because it's so heavy. Um, so those kind of things. But I do – it's one of those things, like, I don't know – some of the players, you know, talk to them. They're like, you know, you just had to remind yourself it's just like a kid again. You're playing out there in the rain. Because at some points it was dumping. What about, what about the sand? As the sand gets wet, it gets harder, and you can jump out of the thing easier if you're a small guy. With it was things. definitely hard-packed. Oh, but does I it mean, also it was make already, It was already 
the Jumpers Beach. Okay. And then it became an indoor Jumpers Beach, probably. Ooh. It's like indoor doubles. Yeah, exactly. Straight down yeah, all the time. Just, yeah. Um, I wonder if with somebody like Phil, you go, well, it makes the smaller guys jump better. But then Phil is like Arnold in Pumping Iron, where he says to Ferrigno, you got the timing all wrong. In, in a month, you'd be perfect. But then again, in a month, I'd be better too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so is it a situation like that for Phil where, yeah, you're, you're jumping higher now, but by the way, so am I. So am I. Just in case you're wondering. Um, it probably would have benefited Phil, except for Phil and Rosie had to uh, withdraw from the tournament after, I believe, it was their first round match. Phil struggling from, uh, I believe it's an ab issue. Ooh, that's not good. Rosie was blocking and Phil was digging. Oh, boy. Yep. That's bad. It was actually entertaining to watch that. I've had Phil scooping. I've had a minor ab issue before. I know Reed has had a pretty major one. I think both Clay and Tom, if I'm remembering correctly, Hoff have had ab issues at times years and years ago. Yeah. Uh, but I, it's a it's a tough one. Reed's had it a couple times. Well, and it depends on where it is, too, I think. Like, you can worry about hernias happening, depending on if it's a lower ab or not. And then, like, you can't – like, it's almost like if your back goes out, too – like anything in the midsection, you can't really bend down. Yeah. So well, and it's the arcing. Yeah. When you go to hit, you can't hit. So you want to keep everything close to you, but you could t- you could just tell right away Phil was not a hundred percent at all whatsoever. Hmm. Well, I wonder if how long that's going to linger. Well, we have we go immediately to Atlantic City. Uh huh. A week off. Ooh. And then they have the last Grand Slam of the year, Brazil, right after Huntington Beach. Uh, so, that fills me with a little bit of dread that we're going to see. Last year it was Rosie's back. Last year it was Rosie's back. That was the issue, right? Yeah. yeah. So, again, this week, Atlantic City, week off, Huntington Beach, right to Brazil. Mm. So we'll see. We'll see um, We'll see if you get some rest and treatment this week and see how it goes. Yeah, I was – I think maybe that's why the end of last year was – and it, it became the back issue last year – for Rosie, but I think that colored people's view of their performance for the year. And we've talked many times on this show about how how good a season they had. First time together, switching side for Phil, they right? Had, they had a really good season. They had a good season, but I think it got colored by that end of the year where Rosie's back was hurt and they had losses that you didn't think yeah. they would have. Yep. Now do we have a similar situation if Phil's ab is unable to recover in time for these last few matches? Does that color the season? <sighs> Maybe, but they had that really good run about a month ago where they were meddling at every international event, one Manhattan. It was like four out of five or something like that. I have to go back and double check, but they had a pretty good run there in the middle of the season. So I think, you but know. I don't even remember that. All I remember is this past weekend. Yeah, obviously. What have you done for me lately? Yeah, what have you done for me lately? So we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens uh Next year, I mean, next year you start the qualification process, and if you keep getting banged up like that, it's going to be a little bit of an issue. Yeah. Well, how old's Phil now? It's got to be in his early 30s. We'll look it up. Someone, someone's got to be able to look it up here. Philip. Philip. See how old. Because you start getting into the danger zone, especially in the men's game. I feel like the men's game is. Zone. Yeah, I wish we could play it right now. Yeah. Sorry, you you could up, sing it louder. I'm looking at Phil's age right now. Okay. In case you're wondering. Uh, I, I feel like the women's game is a little easier on the body than the men's game. 
I don't know if that's accurate. I have no scientific proof. But I feel like you get over 30 and you and Kenny Loggins are there. I don't, why is it so low? Because you're talking over it. I don't want to. Who cares? I can mute you and just go Kenny Loggins. Yeah. Right. I'm seeing aircraft carriers. I'm seeing oh. the high five. Oh, Up top, dude. down low. Up top, down low. Wherever they got the tape for to tape their wrists so they can play volleyball in their jeans. Yeah. yeah. Dog tags flying around. I could just let this play. Who I, cares about the show? I know, we're not, we're not even, why even bother talking at this point. Can we follow this up with a little Berlin, please? <laughs> oh, just checking in right now on the headphones, wondering what's going on as Reed Pretty. He's walked in the door, son Caden in tow, and he turns on his, puts on his headphones. Can you hear over there, It's Reed? Kenny Loggins, baby. Oh, he's probably muted, too. Kenny Loggins? Yeah, we're just, why not? Phil was born in 1980. 1980, huh? Six years younger than me. He's 34. Yep. Thereabouts. There you go. Yes, he's definitely within the danger zone. There's no doubt. I was just about to fade out, and then you said it again, so I had to <laughs> turn it back up. <laughs> <laughs> you can go. Yeah. Love that open. You know what? You're welcome, everybody. Happy Tuesday. You little aircraft. I, I've had a couple people who are kind of aircraft snobs. And they complain, my cousin Brian in particular, about what the aircraft that are used. does that mean? About how cheesy the, the movie is. You know what? Shut your mouth. Top Gun, one of the all-time great films. Of course it was. Better than like, Casablanca. Like if you look at it now, of course it was super cheesy. At the time, it was the greatest movie ever. 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 The Jurassic Park dinosaurs, by today's standards, don't look that good. By the standards of 1996? Yeah. Incredible. You thought you were transported to Isla Verna or whatever. Well, think about now. You're watching Avatar. You think it's fantastic. In like 20 years, you look back and be like, ugh, look how fake that is. I saw Avatar three times in 3D. Of course you did. It was incredible. In the theater? Yeah. You're a geek. Dude, yes. It was incredible. I want to see it again on on my TV, but it won't be as good. It won't be nearly as good. You have to buy like an 85-inch screen. Yeah, my buddy has an 80. It's pretty nice. And I I look at it and go, pfft. Couldn't you get any bigger, Matt? <laughs> Just 80? It's an incredible television set. Welcome into the Net Live, Reed Pretty. Hey, Reed. Hey, guys. Hi, Caden. Hi. Hi. Caden, just dominating. Caden can join the show. Caden, uh, can you tell me who's on your shirt? I it's, see. Yeah? It's just the Eagle in USA. Eagle in USA? Nice. I like it. Did you wear that to cheer for Dad? Answer questions. <laughs> yeah. Keaton, how old, yeah. how old are you? Uh, three. Three? You are officially the youngest guest we have ever had on this program. Yeah. 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 You're dominating. We prepped for some questions. Did you? Yeah. Oh, well, Keaton, what do you want to talk about? What's your favorite uh, topic? David Lee. <laughs> David Lee? <laughs> awesome. And Taylor Sander? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I didn't know he was on this uh, magazine. Yeah, he's on the cover of Volleyball Magazine. One of our big sponsors yeah. has Taylor on the cover. So yeah. is Dave Lee your favorite or is Taylor Sander your favorite? Taylor Sander. Oh, very good. Very good. Did you know that my boys, I have some older boys, their favorite player for a long time? Reed uh, Pretty. 
Your dad. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Caden, it's nice to have you here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. All right. Youngest guest ever. Beat that, somebody. Yeah. Somebody bring in someone younger than three to our show, and, uh, and, and we can have a competition. Reed Pretty, how are you? I'm good. I see a lot of uh, KT tape, physio tape all over you. It's definitely not KT tape. It's uh, muscle aid tape. Muscle aid tape? Muscle aid tape. It's well, kinesio tape, but it's muscle aid tape. Okay. You get That's the, sp- the brand. The spider uh, the spider tape? So yeah, this it, uh, is the drainage wrap. Ooh. Keeps the swelling down? Yeah, it's a lymph drainage wrap. Does yeah. it work? It, it actually does. Really? Yep. Okay, where can I get this? Now, even if it's, it's, uh, it's minor, it seems to trigger the, uh, the brain, and it works. That's, hey, that's what matters. So... Hey, uh, Matt Gardhoff is a frequent contributor to this program in so many ways. I'm looking at a book across my room that uh, Matt Gardhoff made for us. That was incredible, but I really like what he just put in. Caden already overqualified for the BN Network. He can say David Lee and Taylor Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys already been uh, hammering? Uh, not, not no, hammering. no, no. It, it Let came me, up. Hold it came on. Up. I brought it up. Can you mute me, please? Oh, boy. And you two can go ahead. Well, I didn't see it. I just got a text from Kevin saying how awful the announcing was, and I showed it to Dustin Aval because Dustin and I were live streaming in Cincinnati, and Dustin got all butthurt because he thought Kevin was talking about him. I was like, I don't know. He would have mentioned you in the text if it was talking about Dustin, and then you guys chimed in, and then I realized what you were watching, and uh, Kevin's really not happy about it. Yeah, you know, the thing about it is that the fact that it's live and in really good quality, like HD, like if you look at the, the Women's Grand Prix and it's on, I think, Universal. Uh, the quality is terrible yeah. in terms of the picture. Yeah, yeah. But, of course, you get Paul Sunderland, um, yeah. which is, is great to listen to, and uh, knows the game, knows the backstories. Um, I just felt like, uh, yeah, you don't want to hammer them, but you got to do Kevin, some homework. No, Kevin, you're muted. Oh, Please do. Okay. And so <laughs> it feels sort of like you're getting a book report from somebody who didn't read the book. <laughs> That is the best analogy I've heard about it so far. And it's a little bit, um, it's distracting. You want to hear the reactions. You want to hear the ball yeah. hit and all that stuff. So you kind of leave the, it on. Yeah. But I, I originally heard these two back in, um, in the spring when I caught an Italian match. Mm-hmm. And they were just going crazy on the names, just butchering the names and the backstories. And actually, they had no backstories. Yeah. And They're just making it up as they go. Right. And so I, I actually texted or direct messaged the network and just said, you know, it was a friendly email. Yeah. Like, here, call me. I'll help you out with some of the pronunciations and, and stuff. I didn't, never got a call back. I was looking for nothing in return. Like, I just wanted just, to watch volleyball. I will help you out. I, I need nothing. Yeah, I just wanted to watch the game and, and let them say Modena correctly. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'm bum- more bummed about the, the result of today. That was a zapper. I actually didn't. Okay. With all that, I don't even know what, what happened. Like we, in, we lost 3-2. 17-15. 17-15 in the fifth? To Iran. So you've gone 3-2 both times. With Belgium and Iran. Now, Iran picked off Italy to open. Iran's legit. Laurent, Iran is very legit. I think it's also sketchy when you end up with uh, a team you've played four or five times. It's nice to play friendlies, but, boy, it makes it harder. Remember, Reed, leading into 04, we played Greece a ton of times. 
I think we were a far better team than Greece at that point. But we played Greece, I think, four times leading right into the Olympic Games. Then we met them in the quarterfinal. It makes that match so much more challenging for both teams. Yeah. But it's it really is tough when you've seen a team that many times in a row recently. Yeah. There's there's no doubt about it. I thought I thought the same thing when I was watching these guys um, play this morning. I only saw up to I think the first set, and then I tried to fast forward to the fifth set, and it turns out my DVR only captured the first three games. Ooh. But uh, so we went back to the first set, Caden and I, as we ate our brec- breakfast. But nice. um, yeah, I mean they're they're a great team. They've got a great setter. They've got great hitters. They play with yeah, a their ton of emotion. Is awfully good. Yeah, it's it's good, and it, we seem to sort of shuffling a little bit, you know, uh, Matt at outside. I think he probably finished at, uh, at outside. I, I don't know if that's true or not. I want to come back to this topic, but we have a caller who just pulled over on the road. <laughs> he was, he's in between Aspen and Denver, maybe headed back to Princeton. This is a kid who won the mother load. I'm not sure how many years, maybe he could tell us how many years after his father won. Cody Kessel. Cody, are you there? Yeah, how's it going, guys? Hey, so uh, where are you on the side of the road here? Uh, somewhere along the 70? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, just about to get into the pass. So calling you guys just in time before I lost signal. So. Hey, right on. Hey, congratulations on winning the mother load. We had Leon Fell on here for what seemed like about, uh, I don't know, a couple hours of, uh, of volleyball <laughs> vintage history a little while back, and he was talking about that event. You went to the event this year. I know your dad put a post up about you going and how cool it would be if you won. And, and here you guys pulled it out. Tell me uh, about the event it, itself. Yeah, it was it was pretty magical. Um, you know, the event, I've been going to the event, the mother load, since I was, gosh, I think it was the first time I played grass doubles with my dad when I was 12. So 10 years ago, I started playing in Aspen. And he won in 1974 when they only had grass. You know, they didn't even have the sand yet going. Wow. So 40 years later. Um, his son wins, which is just, I mean, like, it's really hard to put into words. It's just a really, really magical and just an awesome weekend. So, yeah, it was, it was really, really, I don't even know. Like I said, I'm just at a loss for words, kind of. Now, I saw your dad there. Was he refing? He looked like he had a ref uniform on or something. Or was he playing? Oh, no, he was taking pictures. That might have been a yeah, conflict of interest there. But he was, he was just taking pictures. Um, just able to share the weekend there with us, too. It was you know, he was, it was just cool to have him up there. You know, like I said, just a magical, magical thing. And the other cool part was we're the uh, – my partner, Skylar Del Sol, and I, who's a total stud, who's, you know, just been helping me all summer with my beach game more than anything. And um, we're, we're the youngest – we're the youngest to ever win, but then we're also the only all-Colorado team to kind of defend Aspen in 15 years and win the Open. So wow. that was pretty special, too. <laughs> so youngest team ever to win. Do you know how far you beat that record? Yeah, sorry, I think you're kind of breaking up. Youngest team combined, I think, by by maybe 10 or 15 years on, on anybody. So that was – it's just crazy. I mean, we've just been working really hard all summer, and it, it just paid off at the right time. Whenever you play a tournament and you have a victory, whether it's internationally, indoor, or on the beach, or anywhere you're playing, there's always those moments where it kind of has to break your way or you make a couple of plays that push you over the top in critical moments. What what was that for you guys that happened? Semifinals, finals, pool play, where did it happen? Yeah, I think it, for me, I think it was the semifinals. Um, we played a, a really solid team from Utah, you know, an older and more experienced team. And in the past, in the summer, you know, we just – kind of struggled with our consistency as a younger team you know we'll you know just just more streaky and we 
went side out for side out with his team, you know, towards like 21-19, 21-19 in both, or 21-18, and, you know, maybe got to turn one or two balls, but then were able to, you know, side out consistently like, you know, like a more mature team. And I think that was, for me, that, you know, that was kind of the turning point in terms of, wow, you know, we're going to hang with anyone. If, you know, if we turn a couple points, we're going to win a match. We're, you know, we're siding out just like crazy. So it was probably the semis, like you're saying, yeah. How about Princeton this year? Tell me about your team. We've seen some definite advances from the Ivy League. You guys and Harvard picking off some some pretty good squads and winning some big matches. And I know you guys traveled last year out to the West and got some more uh, playing time out there. Tell me about the rise of the Princeton program. Yeah, that's been one of the cool things to be a part of. Um, my I, I have a, my class, uh, fellow junior national team libero Tony Ensbury and uh, middle from Chicago Will Soroki. We were, I think, three and seventeen the year before we got there, and uh, me and those other two guys, I think, really just came in and turned the program around in terms of attitude and just a lot of different, you know, culture changes that my coach Sam Spicey wanted to make. So it's been really cool to see that transformation over the four years. Uh, we're gonna actually gonna go play UCLA and UC Irvine um, out on our West Coast trip. We're also gonna be playing the UC Santa Barbara. I think it's the Elephant Bar, the E-Bar tournament, and yep. you know, it's the first time we've done both of those in a long time. So. Um, we only lost one outside, Pat Schwagler, from last year. Um, I might be moving back to the outside. You know, we'll see in terms of what the freshmen are coming in. But we only lost one guy. And, you know, again, just the whole program has been flipped around in terms of, you know, how, we're, how we approach volleyball. And it's just been, it's been a, like you're saying, a cool, a cool thing to be a lot stronger in the East. Again, with Harvard, like you said, getting better, Mason, and, you know, just challenging Penn State and that you know that win against them last year at home was also really special so but you know again they're just you know they're that next level of consistency and that next level of uh just general volleyball you know better volleyball over longer periods of time than us but you know we're we'll be in the gym working hard and you know in a couple weeks so all right, Cody, tell me, I know you don't have any perspective on this because you haven't been to another school, but give me your perception of how challenging school is for you guys to manage while also being an athlete. We think of the Ivy League, we think of the academic rigors uh, of what's necessary. Yeah, definitely. Um, the, I mean, the cool thing about Princeton and, and the team itself is there's just a lot of help. Um, and so you can you can make it as hard or, you know, not as easy, but you can you, know, you can kill yourself and take some pretty tough classes, but... Um, there's, a, you know, if you, whatever you want to do, if you want, you know, mechanical engineering, if you want to take, you know, the craziest classes with, you know, some of the best professors, you can do it. Um, I just, so many resources available for all the undergrads there. Um, and, and that, you know, just like any, like any school, like life, it's just time management. So, you know, it's one of the biggest skills we learn and, uh, you know, we'll have to work on. Um, learning as a freshman, you know, there, you know, I have t- teammates on, you know, we'll have teammates you know, on the bus doing stuff, and, you know, I, I don't know, again, like I said, I, like you said, I haven't really been to another school, but as long as you, you know, just take care of your time management and kind of set set aside time every day, and it can get pretty grueling, um, especially in season, but, uh, you know, when the team just helps each other out and makes sure everyone's getting on top of their things, we take a lot of class, or I take, tend to take a lot of classes with my teammates and That'll help on road trips to be able to keep each other on task. You know, got essays due and stuff, and we can all work on it together and, you know, just kind of going it alone. But, um, yeah, you know, it's, again, just time management. What's your major? Uh, history. 
history major. Yeah, a lot of liberal arts school, so I just I've always loved stories and loved loved just all kinds of history. So American history is my major. But I, again, I plan on probably going playing overseas indoors after school's over. So. And then after that, what's your kind of plan B? Uh, I mean, plan B, I guess, would be beach. But um, I, you know, I'm I got my eyes set on on Tokyo 2020. So. Nice. That would be very special, I know, for your dad. All right, before we let you go, we appreciate you calling in. Your dad, I walked into his office, and I first of all, I could barely get in, is what I remember from years ago, with the amount of volleyball memorabilia that he has. What is the weirdest piece of volleyball memorabilia you think your dad owns? Memorabilia? Oh, man. Gosh, that's a good question. He, I mean, he, if anyone has stopped by his office in Colorado Springs, you know, it's practically a museum. But the, the weirdest, gosh. Volleyball-wise, um, hmm. Or maybe just there, one that sticks out in your mind. Yeah, I don't. I think the. I don't know. I think the asteroid that he has in his in his office is pretty cool. I think it just came from outer space. Like that's pretty, pretty interesting to me. <laughs> but yeah, volleyball-wise, I mean, you've got balls from everywhere, and you know, balls made from banana leaves in Africa that strung together that people are playing with, and. You know, just the game will find a way, and just a lot of cool things related to that. You know, I can't think of one thing off the top of my head. But. All right. Well, when your dad leaves the game, this is what the Volleyball Hall of Fame needs to do. They need to just freeze your dad's <laughs> office. They need to take a few pictures, transport everything there, and install his office at the Volleyball Hall of Fame. I think that would do a, a, no a, a real service. No doubt. <laughs> Very good. Cody Kessel, congratulations to you and your partner on the victory there at the Mother Load, and thanks for pulling over. Be safe merging back into traffic, huh? Yeah, thank you guys so much for having me. Appreciate it. Love All right. All right, look forward to Cody Thanks. Kessel this year with Princeton as well. He's been a big part of the rise of that program. We'll get to that certainly when we get back to men's season. That's a pretty cool story of him winning the mother load. 40 years after his dad. That's cool. Year I was born, 74, his dad won it. He wins it this year. Pretty neat. Can't complain about that. No, no, I, I'm digging that. Yeah, and, uh, Yeah, his dad, if you ever want a verbal dissertation – on anything in the sport of volleyball. Yeah. If you want information, if you have, say, 20 minutes, <laughs> just ask John Kessel something about the history of the game or a grassroots thing out there. Uh, John Kessel, one of the, the all-time fonts of knowledge, gatherer of things. Fonts. Yes. Should we just give his number out now on there? <laughs> exactly. Feel free to call him anytime you want. Just call USA Volleyball, <laughs> speak to Marianne at the front desk, and ask for John Kessel. I'm sure he will be happy to regale you with some tales. That's awesome. Of volleyball from somewhere in the world. I want to say the asteroid. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering if it's in the shape of a volleyball. That's that would be awesome. Um, all right. Let's get back to the, the men's game for a second because uh, Guardhouse says tough loss for Iran head coach John Sparrow. <laughs> John Sparrow. Yeah, this is – okay, here's things I heard. This is just stuff I heard. I'm not complaining. This is just stuff I heard. Uh, Tony Chirelli, he's six feet tall. Uh, this guy, Maxwell, plays middle for the United States. Maxwell, yeah. Maxwell, yeah. yeah. Uh, he, they're coached by the Dread Pirate, John Sprue. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Mika, this guy, Mika Christensen, uh -huh. is the setter. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there was a Mika Anderson at some point. Cool. I'm not sure if that's a hot chick or some sort of weird combination of people. Uh, what else? I, I think that's. Taylor Anderson too. Oh, Taylor Anderson. 
Okay. A Taylor Anderson. There's a lot of Anderson. Best player of all time, by the way. Oh, nice. He merged those two together. Nice. Can you imagine? <laughs> Six foot ten, super duper quick. <laughs> Cat like speed and reflexes. Gardhoff responded because I tweeted that. He responded with, I think his name's Phil Dahlhauser. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that. Jeff Dittman sent us a good question a little while back, a listener of the program. He wanted to know about indoor players on the beach, beach players on indoors. We'll get to that mm-hmm. later in the show. And of course, those names coming up, Anderson. And then uh, Phil Dahlhauser and others. Philip? Philip. 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 Caden, go find Max and the cats. Go ask for Max and the cats. Ooh, cats. Ham and cheese. Cheese and ham. Yep. Go called? downstairs and find Max. If you, go, if you go through here and go into his room, he has a red and black room. You'll find it. He's nice. He's your age. Well, he's 10. Caden's <laughs> <laughs> about the height of a 10-year-old. Go ahead. Your, your backyard, by the way, looks phenomenal. Oh, thank you. Yeah, very nice. Thank you. We, we'll one day do the show from the backyard. That'll be Just awesome. an outdoor show. Oh, yeah. Do I need sunblock or are you going to provide covering? We have an umbrella. I know you're a DJ. You're a person of the night. It's not me, Kevin. The equipment can't get can't be on fire. I'm going to have to actually start to change my own personal time clock, kind of like adjusting when you go to Europe or you go to Asia. I'm going to start, I think, uh, this Thursday in preparation for going to a Suicide Doors event. I'm going to have to start staying up till 2 in the morning and trying to sleep till 10. The kids will have to get themselves to school somehow so that I can actually be awake for Jeremy's performance well, with Cam Green. the good thing is it's only a 45-minute set. Really? Yeah. Well, what about when they... When you can the, go to sleep and wake up, basically, is what he's saying. You go to sleep, wake up, go, go to the, the event. show. Yeah. I went to a concert like that once. When I broke my collarbone, I went to a concert four days later. People kept asking if I was okay because I was asleep. It was as though I was drunk. <laughs> Because of your pain medication. <laughs> and I was just beat, man. That was a bad surgery. Yeah, okay. 45-minute set. Now, but what about all the encores we're going to have? I mean, obviously, people are going to stand and applaud. Obviously, they'll be like, you, the Suicide Doors need to come back on. We don't want the next band to come on. Right. Yeah. Oh, there's another band? Yeah. Oh, I'm not it's not seeing, just us. I will not be seeing them. I'll be seeing you. Yeah. I will be congratulating you, high-fiving. Yep. High-fivering. High-fivers. High-fivering I will just pretend like I don't know you like Jim <laughs> Kessie did at the Olympics. <laughs> And I'll be running out the door. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a short break. I've right. already gone half an hour on this show. How'd that happen? I know. We didn't even make fun of Katie Charles yet either. Oh, we'll get there. Don't worry. We'll have more discussion. Don't worry. We'll have more discussion about the actual volleyball involved with the Men's World Championships. We'll hear about AVP Cincy. Oh, yeah. A couple of teams winning another event mm-hmm. for them in this year. And week one of college women's volleyball. Brandon Rosenthal and others coming on to talk about that. Brandon Rosenthal, he's actually part of his team. Is part of the report this week. Without him having to stick it in there, they earned nice. it. They earned it Good this for week. Them. No doubt. The Net Live will be right back.
Welcome back to the Net Live here on Volleyball Magazine. Thanks to Volleyball Magazine for their support of this program. We also thank 6'8 Clothing Company. Hopefully you've been out there checking them out. If you're 6'3 or above or you know someone who's 6'3 or above that needs some clothing designed for the tall and athletic man. That's right, athletic. That would be not 400 pounds and 6'6". That would be 6'6", 200, 6'3", 190, whatever. You know, something that is... In the athletic build, they have you covered. They do things that you wouldn't even think about. Consider the size of a pocket. At 6'8 Clothing Company, they make their pocket openings wider and deeper so you can get your big hand in there. You can get your keys out without getting involved in a 911 situation where you have to <laughs> call someone like Homer Simpson when he got his hands stuck in the machine and wouldn't let go of the cola. You know, you want to be able to get your hands out. Dress well, live tall, 6'8 Clothing Company. Available online at 6'8ClothingCompany.com. That's with the number 8. Or... On Amazon, if you put in TNL10, it'll get you 10% off your order with 6.8. Be sure and support them because they support your sport. All right, welcome back. Kevin Barnett along with Jeremy Ruscha, as usual, and Reed Pretty in-house for a bit. His son now uh, downstairs playing with Max Barnett. Hopefully they're having a good time. But uh, we want to get back to Men's World Championships while we have you here, Reed. You know, we know you're headed to, for a meeting with your surgeon uh, about your knee, but what did you see in these first two matches? 3-2 victory over Belgium and a 2-3 loss just this morning to a round. N- nothing really stood out. I mean, I just think it's it's good volleyball. Uh, there was nothing glaring that I, I thought that, oh man, we need to do that better or this better. I thought it was good volleyball um, on both sides. And, and that's the thing with these tournaments is that anytime you have a country or a team, a national team that is filled with professionals, they can play volleyball and they can put it together. And I think both these first two teams, uh, I think most notably, they have two great setters. De Pestel for Belgium is a great setter. Been, been playing. He's a journeyman. He's been playing in lots of leagues. He's old. He's like 36, right? Yeah. He's played in Russia, Turkey, uh, you know, all over. And he's he's got a a potent serve. I don't know if anybody... He's a lefty. I, that was one of the things that uh, uh, one of the announcers, the the guy mentioned uh, about an off-speed shot as if those should just be automatic. <laughs> <laughs> Automatically pass perfect. That there was clearly a miscue because nobody would ever not be able to pass a short serve well. Yeah. But he has one of those serves that is just like, just drops. Mm. As soon as it crosses the plane of the net, it's like just drops. But he also has the ability to kind of spin it back uh, deep. So, uh, and they had an outside hitter who's young and was bombing. And so, I mean, they just played good, you know. Um, and it was great that we were able to pull that one out in the fifth set. But I think everybody, I'm sure, I haven't talked to any of the guys, but I'm sure after that first match, it was great to get the win. But at the same time, everyone knows that you're carrying your seed throughout the rest of this tournament. And so to lose one point of the available three was kind of a zapper. And so to go into Iran and to get down 0-2, battle back, was great. So it was great to get to a fifth set. But again, you know, we're we're, we're at three points after two matches. So um, the work is cut out. But, you know, I remember telling Micah before they left, I said, this is a long tournament. You have to have a quick memory and you just have to get on to the next match yeah and you never know which match is the decider you never know and you're going to look back and think oh man i wish i could have whatever but that's for at the end of the tournament right now you know just forget what's gone on get comfortable in the environment you know these are massive arenas 
with very few spectators. <laughs> except have, for the first match. Except for the first match. And those are, those are interesting environments to play in. Um, and so there's the excitement of being in the world champs, and you're in these arenas that, you know, BJ was tweeting out that she was freezing cold. You know, who knows yeah. what the environment was yeah. like. Uh, but we just need to find our groove as a team. Um, it seems like, you know, the one thing I did think when I was telling my wife as we were watching this morning was that it, Matt was spiking with such ease in the World League. It was almost like he was getting kills off three-quarters swings because he was in such a groove. Mm-hmm. And so I think the danger in him going from opposite to outside, back to opposite, back to outside, kind of takes away that subconscious kill, that kill that he's basically doing, not really in his sleep, but he's not thinking. He's not going up and thinking, I really have to give everything on. Let me me communicate this a better way. Um, He was in such a groove that he was in control of the ball. Oh, yeah. Okay, so it wasn't that he wasn't trying, but there was some – there was some uh, – every swing did not take full maximum mental concentration. There was a lot of just let the body work. There's an ease with which you can kill the ball or do anything in sport when you are in that same – in that zone, that confidence zone. And I, I felt that through periods of time in my career, practice, and matches. Right. So he's just seeing it, and he's hitting it. He's not trying to get everything out of every kill. Right. I think that goes away for a player when they're – switching back and forth um, from their role and responsibility and the distribution of sets. And and I just remember watching the end of World League, just um, it was awesome to see that he wasn't gathering all you – know, it just didn't look like he was putting a lot into – It's much easier on your body <laughs> yeah. when you're in that zone. And he was so effective because he's hitting at, you know, 12-3. Mm-hmm. And he was hitting at the top of his spike, and it was it was not like he was putting everything in at every spike. And so, uh, I hope that they can find a groove uh, that that puts those guys in that environment where they feel like that, where they're not really computing and going through. You're not thinking about every little movement. Every little doing. movement yeah. that it's a little bit more natural and free flowing, and and um, and you know what? These guys have nothing to worry. About. They're they're so far ahead of the game. At their age, um, it's it's really phenomenal. I think what they have to work on is make sure they work on the team dynamic of things, especially when stuff gets tough. And I'm not saying that they have some issue now, but that's perhaps the only thing that can derail it. You think about a Kevin Garnett, Stefan Marbury situation. You looked at them early on in their career and went, oh, these guys are going to be incredible. Look at how good they are at 18 and 20. Well, this is going to be an incredible run. And it fell apart personally. I think for, these, for this group, I agree with you that their physical talents are they're, – they're so far ahead of where I ever was as far as my abilities at any point in time where they have been as young players. But you've got to make sure this group stays together, stays on task. John, the right guy for that. Uh, you said 12-3 for Matt Anderson. I have information that says otherwise here. I have a, a contact that has given me their – the vertical touches for the entire U.S. team, along with their displacement or their vertical leap. It just says 12 one and a half for Matt Anderson. Hmm. It, was, it was an off day. I mean, 12 one and a half. What a joke. Testing, by the way, 40. is 5 for the skill. Anderson. So they have, you know, they have these numbers for the O2s. They have to submit them for the World League. Oh, I'm sorry, the, the World Championship Bulletin, and, and they, they 
let you know all the different players, what they touch. Right. It's always in centimeters. We've done so some math here. Yeah, we've done some math. But that test, they, somebody needs to invent a vertical test that doesn't require skill. They've done it. There's a company that has a vert measurement tool that I put on Taylor Sander during World League, during warm-ups. You can wear it as well, vert. And it's Taylor Sander went 43.5 during warm-ups. So yeah, he flies. Yeah, I like that because this this vertical testing is nice for coaches to look at, and this is what the numbers are, and oh boy, we can make decisions. There are lots of guys who touch incredibly high heights, but yet hit the ball two inches over the net. Leonid Marshall, who people love to put highlights up of Leonid Marshall of Cuba, because the guy is about six three, six four. He probably jumps fifty, at least. He's like Hector Soto, who you played with, Reed. Other teams will stop to watch this player warm up. Professionals. That's gnarly. I will stand there and watch those two guys jump and be in awe. And I could jump. And I was like, that's a whole other world. Yeah. That is a whole other world. But Leonid Marshall's guilty of this. He does not hit the ball that high. If he hit the ball maximum height, like a Tom Sorensen-type arm swing with his vertical. You could never block it. You could never block him, ever. He'd hit the ball like 12-5. He'd go over the block by a foot every single time. But he doesn't. He hits the ball way down low. He's got this funky arm swing. Yeah, he gets off on a few balls here and there and bombs them, and you get highlights all over YouTube and so on. But it's not the consistency that you would expect, and these numbers are fun, but the question is how high can you consistently hit the ball and with what direction and pace? I'm looking at this information you have. What is displacement? That would be from standing reach to vertical touch. Gotcha. So that's your that's your measurement. So... Murphy Troy, 40. Carson Clark, 41.5. Taylor Sander, 41. Well, Matt see, Anderson, 40.5. You, you just took the fun out of it. The guess was who jumps Ooh, the yeah. highest. But um, ruin it, Kevin. Maybe I haven't given the highest number yet. <laughs> I would not have guessed Carson Clark. Yeah, me neither. I would not have guessed Carson Clark. He touches 8.5 standing and 11.10.5 jumping. Now, when you did this test, when you did this test, did you ever, you know, alligator arm your your <laughs> <My> first standing reach? <laughs> well, they only you know, you're like I can't get my arm. Uh, I'm about like, seven yeah. six on my reach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was uh, I was forty point five. That's as high as I ever went. Distance between reach and then vertical eleven seven and a half. That was my highest actually eleven seven and a half. My thing always was though I could hit the ball high a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a guy who brought the ball down a ton. Uh, That's what I like about Taylor. You know, just watching him oh, play, yeah. he, his, his point of attack is so high because I think he, he hits fast, like he's attacking the ball faster. He's and, so dynamic, yeah. And what's cool is that this is, this is a generation who's grown up playing volleyball. Yep. And it's really fun to watch. I mean, all their parents, basically, if you go through the list, I think the majority of them would have volleyball parents. And this is what it looks like when volleyball is, is exposed to young players at a young age. And, and Taylor, you know, has been running that fast offense for so long. And so the Vic and hitting fast to the pins, it's just second nature. When I came to the national team, I had never really played the way the national team had played. I'd seen them play, obviously, but I had never played that way necessarily and i think that you've had that now trickle down further and it's no slight i had i had some of the greatest coaches in the game i had marv dunphy in college and a lot of the way we trained was the same but the international game moves and changes quicker than anywhere else 
and I don't think college has kept up. And this is partly the evolution of the game, partly the the evolution of technology, the internet and video and everything that's available, information that's available. The trickle down has become a lot stronger than it was in the late 90s. I couldn't easily find video of the USA men's national team. Couldn't find it. It wasn't really on TV. You had to go to a match and see it. You couldn't see them train. You could, there wasn't the wealth of information that's available today to coaches and to players. These guys, you watch them in college, there is some version of international volleyball being played in college. Taylor Sanders playing a similar system to what he had just six months ago in college. That's an advantage. Still, what he's done is remarkable. But I think the game is progressing at a higher rate than it was previously. Yeah, I would agree with that. What are the expectations for this tournament? God. I know we touched on it before, and people were like, oh, if they don't win, are we super disappointed? I don't think that is correct. But obviously they're going to have internal – they want to win, obviously. But I don't expect them to win. This team – this team that we feel that, that, you know, the guys that are there, the 12 to 14 guys that are there, I think can beat any other team that is in this tournament. Yeah. Yes. But this tournament isn't necessarily head-to-head Yeah. right now. You know what I mean? Like, you have to get to that one match. You know, last in, in uh, 2010, we lost the crossover to Italy. Yeah. The same thing we did in 2012 to get into the Final Four. Um, and so this tournament is for a lot of these guys, it's the first time they've ever, you know, a lot of these guys haven't this been to Olympic first experience games. doing something like this. Right. And this tournament is super special. I know as a, a player, grind. yeah, as a player, I've, I've, I was really disappointed to miss it. I, I told my wife this morning, yeah. I was like, you know what? It sucks. It sucks that there won't be another world championships for me, yeah. uh, because this is a really special tournament. I think it's held in high regard to all the players. Now there's no, there's not that buzz around it like the Olympics because our country doesn't really care. Yeah. But within the sport, this is a big deal and it's fun. You kind of take over a country. Uh, I mean, it's all over Poland. I mean, to get 62 and a half thousand people to watch a volleyball game, the highest I've played in front of in person, by the way, let's be clear. That's not a television rating. 62,000 in the arena. Wow. They sold that out. They sold that out in three hours. Yeah. I saw that. And uh, it's just, I mean, I've played, I think the highest I've played in front of was probably, it was either the Greece match. 15,000. Okay, so I've played in front of, I think, 18,000 in Brazil one time. And then Poland, I think for Champions League, I think we had fifteen to 18,000 when mm-hmm. we played our final against Poland in Champions League. That is, that's loud. That's crazy. Yeah. I could not even imagine <laughs> 62,000 people. It's a football game. It is. Yeah. You get some feel of why uh, NCAA and professional players think they're gods of the universe. Because yeah. I would. 62,000 people screaming your name. Yeah. Bartosz, correct. <laughs> you are god of the universe there in Poland. <laughs> uh, Reed, world, world championships, better tournament than World Cup? Because World Cup is next year. First opportunity to qualify for the Olympics. 12 teams, play 11 matches, done, no playoffs. World championships, 24 teams. Crazy pools, play all the way down to playoff in a championship. The, I always thought that the World Championships was a harder tournament. It was, it felt longer. It was more of a grind. But this is the first time that they have this format where they go one day on, one day off. 
And so as soon as I heard that, I thought, oh, man, this is going to be a different tournament. It's like a mini Olympics now at this point. Right, because before it was three days in a row. Yeah. And then you, you didn't get a day off. You had a travel day. Right. And then two days on, then Between travel pools. day, yeah. then another, you know. So this this is one of those things where you – is it's one of those tournaments where you don't know – like you, like I said, you don't know – all games are important, but you never know what's the, the turning point game, and you got to be in it every single game. And it's hard to, to play at this level, yeah. at any professional level, over a three-week period of time where you're playing this many matches, and it requires tremendous amount of depth, uh, focus, recovery is critical. And, uh, you know, for me, also just emotional and physical conditioning. Yep. And that was huge for me in, in 2010. I remember Caden was about to be born, and I knew that was going to happen. I knew I was going to be away from the team for you know a little bit, a couple of days, whatever, four or five days. So I was putting in extra effort. I was training with Sean Rooney at the time, and I was grinding it out in the weight room, and I found like a different gear um, that was awesome to find. But then that's when Caden was born. I didn't sleep for four days, and I played in a uh, little red versus blue scrimmage and and uh, strained my QL, and all that shape went out. Yeah. But but for me, that's what this tournament is about. Is about it's how long can you play at your best level or at a level that's basically you're you're grinding, you're competing, yeah. you're focused. BJ Evans, thanks for the note. Bartosz Kurek did not make Poland's team for Worlds. Yeah, I, I saw that, but I didn't see why. I didn't know hurt. if he was got to be hurt. I didn't know if he was hurt. I didn't know if it was a or suspended or something. There's no way somebody issue. beats him out on physical ability. There's no way somebody beats him out. Yeah, no, he's had he's had some pretty average years, I think, professionally. Um, you know, one in Russia, one in Italy, and he's gone outside of Poland. Yeah, uh, but I, I I can't believe that uh, there's not more to the story. I'd love to know if B, maybe BJ knows. She could share with us what's behind that decision because he's their he's their ace now from what i heard antigua their coach who's a french player that we played against and he was god i hated antigua <laughs> I, I loved him i hate him <laughs> no i'm sure he's a great guy i hated him be- for all the right reasons if you're him yeah because the dude was just efficient as all <laughs> hell and that bugged me yeah because you could hit a ball and just crush it and he just touch it lip it up you're like dude seriously you're six nine and kind of dumpy <laughs> How are you making that play? That's a joke. Do you know how much I can? You know how much I can uh, uh, clean, huh? Do you know we've been doing cleans and jump squats? I can do that. Why can you dig me like that, you sloppy Euro? <laughs> God, he was frustrating. Haven't let that. But like one, I said, haven't let he, that he, one go he yet. Was very good. Very good. Yeah, he was. He's a guy that everybody who's played with him talks about. He's that team guy. He's the guy that that makes those around him better. And. Uh, and so he goes from player to coach, and we're talking as he's a player, he's hired as the coach. He's still playing. Where's he coaching? He's co- he's coaching for Poland. Assistant or head? Head. What? And I was told that the reason that they wanted to get him was that they would get Walsley back, their opposite, their okay. captain. And yep. so, um, so they got him back. They got Winarski. Winiarski, and uh, they, they've got a, a good, good team. I don't even know. I think Zagumni, maybe. It's Winiarski, I think. It's because W's are V's. Okay. In Polish, like. But see, see I'm not ready. I'm not ready for V's. broadcasting. 
at all. Yeah, it's, dude, trying to figure out Polish is hard. Like Roklaw, have you ever seen the city in Poland, Roklaw? No. W-R-O-C-L-A-W, Roklaw. It's Wrocław, something like that. Weird. That's what I remember from my time in Poland. Like, really? How do you get that out of W-R-O-C-L-A-W? But it's not, uh, yeah. Uh, BJ sent us a link with a photo and the caption. There's more to it, but said. Uh, Back pain. The receiver did not gain recognition in whatever the coach's name's eyes and was not appointed to the 14-player squad for the tournament. Well, if he's got some issues, then maybe he's got some issues. I think this U.S. team getting back to the expectations for the United States team, Reed, um, I think a lot of people look at World League and go, oh, they should win world championships. They're the best team. Not really. Uh, they, that shouldn't be the expectation. I think this, the world right now is full of several good teams, probably five, uh, maybe the top three are a little bit better. The U.S. played some good matches but played some stinkers throughout World League. The, the tournament format worked out for them. This tournament's a little bit tougher. You're going to have to be good, as you discussed, over a long period of time, both physically and the mental side of things. And I think that's what you learn from your first Olympics, too, is how to manage those two weeks, how to manage the travel to the Olympics, how to manage the lead-up to it. And you, it, it's a very intangible thing that pays huge dividends when it comes to the end of the Olympic Games. And I, I imagine you felt the same thing going from 04 to 08. For sure. And I think you realize that the level is the level. You, you, you attain some sort of proficiency uh, at the skills of the game. And now it's about exactly managing, you know, the peaks and valleys. Uh, when do I need to be is, is feeling as good as possible? Uh, how can I play at my highest level when I don't feel good? And, you know, I, I think there's probably more teams that could win. I really don't see a dominant team out there right now. Like Iran could beat anybody in the world, but as we saw in the World League Finals, they had to play three nights in a row. Right. Mm -hmm. And from a lot of people that were at the match said that they just looked tired uh, against us in the semifinals. Um, and so it's one of those things where if you're if you're having to ride a few guys, uh, that gets very tiring yep. when you get into a uh, three week long tournament. USA questions. The, the biggest question I have is that OH2 spot. Assuming that Matt stays at opposite. Let's just assume he stays there. Garrett and Tony are not yet what they need to be at that spot from what I've seen. I don't go to training, and I've said on the program before, this is sort of the benefit of being me. Mm -hmm. I'm not colored by training. The only thing I see is what you do when you play. I haven't seen it, Garrett or Tony, Tony Chirelli, Garrett Mwangatudia, Mwagatudia, I think. I, I keep adding an N, I believe. I have not seen a level that is sufficient enough to say, yes, the United States should be on the podium consistently from these two guys, nor anyone else in that position. I thought Sean did some really nice stuff through World <laughs> League. I thought he did a great job passing the ball, playing defense, but still, there's offensive question marks with Sean. Can he deliver on a high ball when you have to have it from your outside hitter? When Taylor and Matt are playing the way they are, you can have a ball controlling guy in there, and he makes that happen. Sean, by virtue of his ball control and what he was doing, made some of those situations happen for sure, and the leadership and experience of Sean. But now without him there, I think that question mark gets bigger. 
I watched several of the matches, four of the five, or three of the four, I should say, uh, from the Iran friendlies that we had here. And uh, two players that really stood out were Garrett okay. and Carson. Mm. Okay, And good. They, they both made, uh, you know, Garrett, there was this aggressive, very dynamic step to the ball, you know. And so I, I feel like that OH2 spot, um, whoever's in it, needs to just play to their strengths, not try to be somebody else in, in the sense of, it's it's easy to say that position just needs a passer, you know, because they've got the offensive weapons of you know Taylor. We've got great middles, right? In in you know in rhythm, and uh, and Matt, you know, you've got this combo. So let's just get a passer. But if that's not necessarily their strongest point, then go do your strongest thing. Like, like one of yeah. the great things about Tony is he's a competitor. He competes super hard. And he's not a guy that's just going to float serve a ball in when the game's on the line. He's going to go for it. And I feel like those guys need to play aggressive. And they need to play um, with within themselves and, and to be there, you know, basically perform within their strengths. Yeah, and don't limit yourself based on what you think the position needs based on somebody else. Because anytime you insert someone new into a situation, if they play exceptionally, to your point, at whatever they do, that changes everything around them for the better. It's not like you have a set situation of five players and you're going to want to just put somebody in this little box to keep the other five the same. You would prefer that that little box, the addition of that box, makes the other five different and better because it's all interplay and volleyball is that way. It's just after 11. I know you got to go. Tell uh, Elitrash <laughs> that uh, he better have done a good job. It all rests with him. <laughs> Gentlemen. Always great to see you. Reed, it's been fun. Thanks for being here. Reed, pretty checking out. Let's get to uh, CBW here in, in just a second. Let's go with a little music for a moment, and we'll be right back. College of Volleyball Weekly, Brandon Rosenthal on the line momentarily here on the Net Live. Catchy beat to it. Yep. It's good. I like the little I background stuff. I don't know who it is, but it's fine. I don't know. It's fine. Tell do you me. enjoy the song, Kevin? Yeah, I do. And that's all that matters. Who is it? I gave you three guesses. I, I won't even have one. But that's the fun part. If you just say Stevie Wonder, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm bound to get it right about 70% yeah. of the time. I like playing Stevie. Tina Turner. <laughs> See? Let's say in the 80s, Cindy Lauper. I apologize, everybody, for ruining the song. No, it's new. Clean. I know it's new. Bandit featuring Jess Glenn, maybe? 
G L Y N N. I would never have thought no, of that. No, of course not. That's why. Clean the, Bandit. It's like screaming trees. That's why the game is fun. Yeah. It's not fun if you have no clue at all. My wife would have gotten it. I would not. Welcome back to the Net Live, ladies and gentlemen. We appreciate you being here on the 2nd of September, year 6 of this program. Uh, will there be a year 7? That's the, always the question. Will there be a year 7? Oh, hold on. I'm getting the spinning. Oh, there we go. Well, you will see us. In Oklahoma City this year, I believe, as we're working on that at the Final Four. So if you have not been to our live show, we will be hosted by Gold Medal Squared again, I believe, and we will be in their booth. Come to our live show. We'll have giveaways. We'll have the show. We'll have some fun. You may even get on. We're also this year, we're going to have speakers so people can actually hear us walking by. We will be more organized this year with people being able to hear us throughout the arena. We're organized, just not that part. I want them to hear us through the whole thing. Now, there's other things going on. Yeah, we can't dominate. I mean, I would... More than happy to dominate the entire convention center. Yeah. But we're going to OKC. I'll have to get some Thunder gear for my oldest son. Big Thunder fan. Clippers. Yeah. You just have to say that? If someone yeah. says the name of another yep. team, you just have to say Clippers? Yep, Clippers. Okay. Maybe the next next guy will have to say Predators or Titans or Whatever. something if you mention another team. Let's yeah. bring him on. Do we have music? <laughs> Do we have music? Why would you ask questions like that? For many years on this show, we have enjoyed hearing about college volleyball, a review of what has happened, and a look forward to what will happen. Predictions and more about the world of college volleyball. It's College Volleyball Weekly, and it's brought to you here on the Net Live. This year, we have Brandon Rosenthal, and Jeremy, we have somebody else? Yep. I see okay. two numbers on there. Well, maybe that's Vinny. I don't know. We're going to find out. Hopefully whoever it is knows uh, college volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring him in. Brandon Rosenthal. Lakers. <laughs> <laughs> Who else is on the line here? Is this just someone who's going to ruin our segment? Hopefully not. Yeah, hey, guys. It's Vinny. Yeah, yeah, it is Vinny. Yeah. Very good. All right. Thanks for calling in, guys. Appreciate you doing so. I have to start... Here, College Volleyball Weekly, I'm not contractually obligated, but I am personally obligated to talk about a team that nearly, nearly, almost knocked off number 23, Creighton. I I think it went 75-73 in set number two, but then followed up that 3-1 defeat, very close defeat. I think all sets but one maybe were due sets. Followed that up with a victory over the host, Kansas, and also got votes. Managed to get votes for the first time ever. We're talking about the Lipscomb Bisons. Yes. Checks in the mail, Marty. (laughs) (laughs) Brandon Rosenthal, what on earth happened there? You know, we've been saying it all year. Uh, We had a great spring, and uh, I really feel like this is a a squad that uh, can – Mix it up with the big boys, and uh, we've built a schedule that uh, we're forced to do so. We don't have any easy matches, and uh, girls came out great. Uh, crazy match uh, versus Creighton. It's Friday, the first day of competition at 9.30 a.m., so I, I think we are arguably one of the first matches out of the gate, and uh, us versus Creighton, and it is an absolute barn burner. Just knock them down. Out in the back, just two kids slugging it out, and it was fun to be a part of. Uh, Creighton came up uh, with a couple more plays, and that was the difference. And, uh, you know, my talk to the girls afterwards was, hey, look, this is exactly where we want to be, and let's take every opportunity and learn from it. And uh, we knew that uh, 
that night's match was going to have a great crowd. I think it was 1,300, 1,400. Uh, fortunately, we had enough. We had quite a few people ourselves. I think 300 fans on our side, and uh, we go down 0-2, uh, which is not good, obviously, being on the road. And I just said, hey, look, uh, we've got a long season ahead of us, and, and we've got to utilize every opportunity to get better. So we only have 30-some matches. Let's, uh, let's get better here the second half and uh, asked the seniors to step up and they did and staved off a couple match points and set four which was uh, amazing and, and rode it to a victory and it was fun you know uh, first time we've ever beaten a uh, top 25 team and uh, to do it on somebody else's floor was great and uh, yeah the, the receiving votes is a very nice gesture uh, something that uh, yep. I'm extremely proud of knowing where we started but uh, we got more to do and uh, today's a fun day because we get to uh, get after it knowing that uh, we're close, but uh, we've got more work ahead of us. All right, so you guys get six votes to get into the top 25. You get six points. Creighton drops out. Kansas gets dropped out of the top 25. You guys pummel them both right outside of the top 25. Looking at that top 25 out by the ABCA yesterday, they work Labor Day. We don't. <laughs> Penn State, still number one. Stanford moves up from three to two. Texas moves down from two to three. Then it's Wisconsin, Washington, SC, Purdue, Florida State, Illinois, BYU, Florida, Nebraska, Colorado State, Michigan State, and San Diego. And, Vinny, I want to bring you in on this with Nebraska. They faced off with Stanford and got absolutely pummeled by Stanford. Was that kind of an unexpected result? Well, you know, Kevin, first and foremost, how great was it the opening weekend of the season that we have Stanford and Nebraska playing? Yeah. So that's just absolutely amazing. You know, you know, the Stanford team that they had returning, you know, you look at the talent on that team, it was a little bit of a surprise for me that they were able to get that sweep, especially with the way Nebraska's played throughout the years. But, you know, if you're in Nebraska, you're 0-2. It's definitely not time to hit the panic meter. I think that this is a Nebraska team that – without a doubt, is going to bounce back and have a great season in 2014. No, I've already called for uh, John Cook to resign. I, I started <laughs> johncookresigntoday.com. I, I, it's 0-2 start. It's over for the Cornhuskers. I think you just throw in the towel. Uh, no, no doubt. Nebraska shouldn't panic. And kudos to them for, for putting together a challenging match and giving some volleyball fans or the volleyball fans something to look forward to right at the very beginning. Because if you look around at some of these matches – uh, Penn State, for instance, they beat TCU and then College of William and Mary and then Iona. Uh, I'm not sure the national ranking of those three put together, but I doubt it's anything close to what Nebraska faced this past week. Uh, with some of this preseason scheduling, Brandon, you said you've been forced to kind of get out there and, and make your mark. Uh, what do some of the big colleges do? How do you think they manage the situation of wanting to bring in somebody that has some good tune-up potential for them, but isn't going to come in and beat them a la you guys in Kansas and pummel their rating and, and move them down. Yeah, you know, I think each coach is a little bit different, obviously, you know, for the conference that they're in. Uh, you know, something coming up this weekend, Penn State uh, playing uh, at Stanford and then and playing UCLA as well. I mean, it's there. I think the parity continues to grow more and more, and I think these uh, coaches realize they've got to kind of not necessarily protect themselves, but they've got to get out and put together some sort of resume. Uh, in years past, probably about six, seven years ago, they really didn't have to, and they would just kind of build their schedule 
around you know just some easy wins and kind of work towards their conference play the the big 10 is a brutal brutal schedule yeah uh, there's nobody out there that's going to argue that and they're going to get plenty of great matches there uh, i think the interesting mix is how do we get ready for that and also um you know continue to build confidence and and you know it as a player when you're playing a team that you know you should beat and then you kind of go out there and it gets sloppy and you get the win but you don't really get better so i think it's important with the parity going on uh to see some of these top teams continue to push themselves um you know florida state is a team that needs to be talked about uh to go into nebraska and and to win a tight match as it was but again they're going to be faced up against florida on thursday and then it looks like marquette and marquette's another program that really needs to be talked about uh this is a kind of holdover team from bon Shemansky who moved over to iowa this year but ryan tice took over the helm there and both guys are great great coaches uh bond is a tremendous recruiter and no doubt that marquette is stacked with talent and now uh ryan is kind of left with uh running that and uh, Marquette's a team to continue to keep your eye on uh, towards these next couple weeks. Yeah, and, you know, I'm kind of staying in that same geographical area and talking about the Big Ten this season. You know, they opened this weekend going 32-8, and and some of those matches were against cupcakes, but one team you have to credit with the way that they came out and played was Wisconsin, getting victories against Louisville, and Notre Dame, and they hit more than 300 in both those games. I was really interested to see how this team was going to come out, especially having so much success last season in getting the national championship game. How did you respond after having such a successful season? And they hit the ground with flying colors. As you know, I'm really intrigued coming up this weekend now, Wisconsin going out to Colorado State for a non-conference match. That's going to be one of my calendar that I'm circling. Yeah, Colorado State's a team that, uh, again, kind of like Marquette, everybody really needs to pay attention to. They're outside of that big conference, uh, and they could easily get lost. Actually, interestingly enough, Colorado State played Marquette and won pretty easily, but that Wisconsin match is definitely uh, one of those matches where if they want to make a move or make some noise as far as being outside one of those top conferences, uh, you know, that's going to be it. Uh, Purdue's another team. They've got a lot of young talent. I was interested to see what they would do. Uh, and they beat some good teams. Uh, I wouldn't say great teams. You know, San Diego, I think, is a very good team. Uh, they beat them at home. And then also LSU. It's going to be a couple weeks before Purdue really gets tested. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how they'll continue to grow. But, uh, you know, Purdue is a team that I think will be there at the end. Like I said, mostly around uh, kind of that mixture of returners and some young talent those matches are hard to play when you you think you should win you maybe think the opponent even shouldn't be on your floor i remember playing the banana slugs of jay hosick many years ago thinking (laughs) what are we even doing here and then pummeling them and then being finished uh yeah upcoming matches uh, those are interesting colorado state last year if i'm remembering correctly brandon weren't they one of the last undefeateds throughout the year it was them and uh mizzou missouri yeah, they yeah. were. And again, Tom Elbert does a great job out there. Uh, he's got a new uh, young uh, assistant named Luke uh, who was at uh, East Tennessee State. And Skywalker? I think they've got a great, great staff there. And uh, uh, they'll continue to, you know, 
I think they just do great, you know, great environment that they play in, uh, in their home environment. But I think more than that, I think they're not afraid to go out and play some tough matches. And, uh, you know, I think we'll be rewarded at the end. I think one team that uh, I definitely want to call attention to is, is just scheduling-wise is is Florida. Obviously a traditional power in the SEC. Uh, over the next five matches, this is who Florida plays. Florida State, that's at Florida State. Then they are at home versus Texas. Neutral site versus San Diego. At SC. And then home versus Marquette. Uh, and then they have one more match before they head into the SEC. So props to Florida. Uh, again, getting off to an early start. They're 3-0 and now, beating Oklahoma in five. But uh, they're going to have a tough challenge coming up. Hey, Vinny, I want to ask you that kind of in light of some of Brandon's comments there. How different are the demands of scheduling the women's game compared to the men's with the field of 64 being the playoff? We had all the issues last year with Pepperdine or or uh, who am I thinking of? Jesus, outside in Julia. Lewis and Pepperdine. Lewis, yeah, with Lewis and Pepperdine. But it seems like you can go different ways here. There are some cupcake matches, but there are also a lot of these good matches. And Florida, boy, what a schedule. How different is it for these coaches to manage it when you do have a 64-team field instead of a six-team field? Yeah, yeah, you know, I think it's definitely night and day when you talk about the men's and women's, especially when if you look at the men's with the MPSF, you're only having three or four non-conference matches. So it's almost in some ways like a football team scheduling non-conference matches like you see with an SEC team where they're going to want to get one or two challenge games and maybe one or two cupcake guarantee wins. But, you know, with the women's game, you have a little bit of a longer of a bigger non-conference schedule, about 14, 14, 15 matches. And you want to get that variety. You want to get that luck. You want to be able to get some guaranteed wins that you know you can get, but you need to be able to challenge yourself, especially you, especially with the way the selection committee looks at RPI. And that's something so critical. And you even kind of start doing the math right now at the start of the season in terms of <laughs> RPI. And, you know, one of the conferences I was kind of looking at this weekend was, you know, the MAC. And, you know, what would some of those schools be able to do could Ohio get a big win against, you know, Arizona State or Hawaii and possibly help that conference, which seems to get a couple at-large bids every year? They weren't able to do that, and that might put that conference back behind the eight balls, and we're only in week two. All right, gentlemen, what else are we missing from this past week? You know, one thing, um, Kevin, I do want to hit on, I think that this was without doubt the upset of the weekend, Northwestern State knocking off Missouri. And you talk about this Northwestern program. It's a real fantastic story. Their head coaches um, are actually married. You and you and Sarah Harrisman, they are a married couple that are actually coaching this team. They took it over in 2010, and the program was in complete disarray. They went 3-21. and their, their players were having trouble in the classroom. They have completely turned this organization around. They are having 21 seasons. They made the AVCA all-academic teams multiple years. And this is a team coming out of the Southland Conference that potentially, if they get in the NCAA tournament, could be a bracket buster. I like it. Yeah, they do State. a nice job. Hugh does a nice job there. And uh, they're heading out to uh, L.A. or Southern California this weekend. They'll play at San Diego. We'll take on Fullerton uh, and Brown and San Diego, the host school. So it'll be interesting to see how they do against them. I saw that uh, Northwestern State 
Missouri matched, and and by far uh, Northwestern State really took it to Missouri and frustrated them early, and never allowed Missouri to kind of get into a rhythm. So it uh, again, programs off the radar, kind of making a mark. Uh, I love it, and uh, you know, props to them. Uh, Mizzou gets an opportunity to look at the Lipscomb Lady Bison Bears this next week. Yeah, it should be fun. It's a, a tough tournament. There's actually a five-team tournament uh, um, with us, Missouri, Illinois State, who uh, took out Ohio State and nearly beat Oregon, lost to them in five, and then uh, also Oakland. Uh, so it should be fun. Uh, Xavier will be there as well. We do not play Xavier. We play three matches, Missouri, Oakland, and Illinois State. So, again, a tough test for us. And uh, a good volleyball, you know, college volleyball weekend. All right, the topsy turvy world of the first couple of weeks of women's volleyball. Guys, I have Penn State at Stanford and at UCLA. I have Wisconsin at Colorado State listed. What else am I missing? Vinny Lopes, what else should I be watching this week? You know, I think um, staying within that um, Stanford kind of tournament that they're doing, I think the interesting team to watch is also going to be UCLA. And just when you think about how crazy is it right now in the world of college men's volleyball that UT San Antonio is receiving more votes than UCLA in the national coaches poll. So I'm really interested to see what UCLA does after they struggled last season. They came out this weekend 2-1 and one, but lost to Loyola and Marymount. I'm really interested to see what this Bruins team is able to do going up against Illinois and Penn State. Brandon. I'm always intrigued by these kind of inter-conferences or conferences playing each other. So out of the ACC, we've got Duke and North Carolina heading to Michigan and Michigan State. And, uh, again, all four programs right in the mix of the top 25. So this should be interesting to see what happens uh, and see how it all shakes out because, uh, you know, a bad weekend by two teams out of one conference can really affect the top 25 and then, you know, affect the rest. And when I say the rest, 26 through, you know, 35. So uh, there's potential of movement this weekend. Awesome. Gentlemen, thank you for the information. We'll continue to watch those matches and look forward to talking to you next week right here on The Net Live. Thanks, boys. All right, Vinny and Brandon, checking out College Volleyball Weekly. I'm sorry, what's that? Sorry, I was muted. (laughs) Yeah, good stuff there. Keep an eye on this. I I find this intensely interesting that these teams get an opportunity to play each other a lot at the start, and you don't see the same sort of thing in the men's side of the game. You don't get the mixing. You don't have two big power conferences. You just have one conference that's good, uh, but you don't have the, the nearly the depth of interest that you can find in the women's game. Yeah, UCLA, boy, that's a real question this year. What will Mike Seeley do? Missed the playoffs last year for the first time since, uh, I think, 1912 for UCLA. So, yeah, if they can get back in. And UT San San Antonio does get more votes than UCLA. I think Vinny said in the men's volleyball, but he's just used to covering men's more than men's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing the women's this year as well. I appreciate that. Happens for sure. We will uh, continue to watch the rankings and associated with that. Good stuff. All right. How, how should we switch gears here, Jeremy? Just say we're going to the beach. We are going to the beach. I was at the beach yesterday. Let me just let me just put on my suit. We're out of here. My doctor, real quickly. Yeah. With my ankle. Yes. I went in a couple of weeks ago, and he said, "Have you done anything to test your ankle?" And I said, "No," because mm-hmm. I am petrified. He's like, "Well, after he sort gave- of like your ankles, kind of petrified." Exactly. <laughs> 
He's like, I want you to test it. Even if you get hurt, you're not going to hurt yourself, do any more damage. Okay. He's like, I want to test it. I want you to go out there and do your thing and see if the um, steroid injection they gave me a month or, month or two ago, you know, helped reduce some of the uh, scar tissue in there. Okay. So we it was out on the beach yesterday, played some fours. I was not going hard at all whatsoever. Felt yeah. super slow. Um even though some people were playing with complaining that I was really fast. And it wasn't that I was really fast, just they were really telegraphing where they were going to hit the ball. So I was already on my horse there before they hit it. So it may have looked like I was fast, but I was not. Uh, but it felt good to be out there, Kevin. Get how back you, in the How do you feel today, though? I'm a little sore today. Uh, did spin class this morning, too. What? Yes, we usually spin class Tuesdays mornings at 7 a.m., which is, as you mentioned, not DJ hours. No. But yesterday after we played, I brought it up to Nicole. She's like, oh, no, we're not doing that. I was like, oh, thank God. And then last night around 10, 10.30 before, she you notified know, you. before we were thinking about going to bed, she's like, do you want to do spin class tomorrow? And I was like, uh, the fact that she's bringing it up again means that she wants to. Uh, so I was like, I'm in. Good intuition by you. Yeah, so did that this morning. Um, it actually probably felt good to be moving, but I am legitimately sore right now. Yeah, hurting, huh? Yeah. Uh, well, it's the second day, too. You can't just it'll be go tomorrow. one day. Let's do a show and- tomorrow, and I'll tell you how I feel. Yeah, you can't go one day and you're like, oh, it's not not too no, bad. It's you get the, two the days. second day, but yeah. you know what can help with that is some of the stretching. You got to go, yeah, foam roller, yeah, the stick multiple times a day. Yeah, I have the stick too. You know what that is? Yeah, I don't like the stick. I have tiger tail. I think it's better. Gotcha. I tell you, I, that's the one that fits in my bag when I travel. I'll show you tiger tail. All right. I think it's a little sturdier Sounds than the kinda, stick. The stick tends to bend too much. Sounds kind of awkward. It's kind of wimpy. Yeah. But anyways, being on the beach felt great, especially after watching. Yes. Beach volleyball weekend. That's that's always my issue is like when watching it, all I want to do is play. So we were in Cincinnati this weekend. That's good. And the Linder Family Tennis Center in Mason, Ohio. Yep. Is where we were. We've been there, I can't even think how many years. We've been, years and years. Yeah, been going there for a while. They are the originators of the night session, being that we're in a okay. tennis facility. They have tennis lights, um, which is always a lot of fun. And that was really one of the things I was looking forward to this year because last year we had a little bit of a rain out on the night session. So I was a little bummed that we didn't get to do that. So this year it attempted to rain us out again for the night session. But it rained basically at the end of the day session starting on Saturday. So around 5-ish, maybe a little before it started to rain. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. Was there some sort of Chinese weather manipulation plan in place or something? Like we were the 2012, yeah, exactly. Or 2008 Olympic Games, yeah, where we just shot things into the air. To, yeah, yeah. Uh, according to tournament director Jeff Conover, we will continue to play as long as there's no thunder and lightning. Okay. And like, if like the seats aren't getting ripped up by like the wind or anything like that, like it's like if Nick Lucena is not running for his bag and shelter, you will continue. Correct. To play. We will continue to play. Okay. So um, it basically rained. It rained throughout the entire break between the day session and the night session while I was just kicking it in the players' lounge. And then it was definitely raining for probably the, the first match, um, maybe part of the second match. I can't remember. But uh, fans, they their ponchos, umbrellas, they were out there. They didn't it's, care. It's still warm out, though. Yeah, it was. I was in a T-shirt and shorts. It was fine. Um, but I, as you noted, was would not be in the rain with my DJ equipment. So I was perfectly dry. Jake and Casey win. Jake and Casey win. Beat Ryan and Nick in the finals. Okay. In two. And um, on the men's side, too, I want to congratulate 
Casey Jennings and Jeremy Casebeer, they got a third, which obviously is not their goal. But nice. Jeremy's best finish so far in the AVP Tour. Very nice. Yep. Um, they played some rally matches Sunday morning. Sunday morning was downpouring during the first round. I mean, downpouring rain. At one point, I had to disconnect said equipment so it would not get rained on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Jake and Casey won on the men's side, and then Carrie and April won on the women's side, which the women's side has been the same finals all season long. Yeah. The depth isn't there, it doesn't seem, compared to the men. Those other teams seem to have separated themselves quite a bit when it comes to domestic play. Yeah, on the men's side, you'd probably say there's, you know, four teams that could win it every week. You know, maybe some other guys sneak in there, too. Um, Apparently, on the women's side, there's only one team that can win it. Well, so far. And only one team that can get in the finals besides the team that, that wins is, it. That is so far. <laughs> I do think there's some other women's teams that, you know, you wouldn't be surprised if they're in the finals. Yes. But uh, Karen and April are definitely playing at a different level. That is for sure. However, I will say again that Brooke Sweat's back is definitely an issue. It was bothering her again in these finals, and she was visibly in pain. Okay. Um, That's no good. No, but was able to fight through it a little bit. Um, and I'm sure hard pack sand, weather, all that stuff didn't necessarily help her cause either. Dropping barometric pressure, not good. <sighs> yeah. So um, I'll be interested to see what happens in Atlantic City. I mean, there's some people that are banged up. A lot of people took some time off between – they didn't go to Poland internationally after the Salt Lake City event. Is that correct? Where was I last? No, Manhattan Beach. I apologize. It all kind of blurs together for me. Um, so we'll see uh, how people heal up this week before they go to Atlantic City. Some people stayed on the East Coast. So they didn't have to fly back to California and then fly back. Okay. And um, Which is a good idea until you try and arrange training and food and everything else. It could be tough if you don't have the right thing arranged. Correct. Absolutely. Um, I know some guys are doing like a road trip. Uh, some people are going to see their family, which was not necessarily in Philly, but close by. Mm-hmm. Dustin Aval has a lovely travel week this week. He We got back late Sunday night. He flies to San Francisco tomorrow. For work? For work. Okay. And then gets back from San Francisco on Thursday afternoon and basically walks from one terminal to another to get on a plane to fly to Atlantic City. This sounds like my broadcast life sometimes. Got to do what you got to do. Way to go, Dustin. Yeah. Um, Atlantic City this weekend is just a two-day event, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. And very curious. Atlantic City last year, they, they were very excited for us to be there. I know they're excited for us to come back again. Um, the city has hit some financial issues. Just a few. But um, I'm, I'm looking forward to going back. I hope – that whatever financial issues the city is having, they can fight through that and this become, you know, a, a recurring event because I, I think the fans really enjoyed it last year. And you're close enough to a few different areas that people will drive in from, uh, like, a decent amount of distance. Make sure you get some saltwater taffy. Okay. My favorite things on the East Coast. Good to know. And then you're not on the boardwalk in Rehoboth Beach, which is where I prefer to go. But Atlantic City, the, the boardwalk. The we'll have to do. Boardwalk. The boardwalk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to Atlantic City this weekend. Um, Cincinnati event, I mean, the fans are always fantastic. Yeah. I mean, they're always fantastic. It looked good. Show. The pictures I saw looked really good. Look great, right? I mean, inside the tennis center, you get a different – it's a different vibe, obviously. And then the night session, I told uh, I told Donald before the event, he's like, oh, because he didn't get to see the night session last year. So he was looking forward to this year. I was like, oh, it could get a little weird. And he didn't know what that meant. I was like, uh, just, just wait. 
I don't know how to explain it to you. Just just wait. And by weird, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean like maybe certain things will be said on the microphone that you wouldn't say during the day. <laughs> maybe certain songs will be played in the evening that you wouldn't necessarily play during the day. Okay. Maybe some more adult beverages were flowing responsibly in the evening more than they would have during the day. I'm just saying um, those, those all factor into how the night session goes. Even though it was raining. If it wasn't raining, it may have gotten even a little bit more weird. <laughs> hey, uh, this year, no question, the beach has been good. 100%. The beach has been good. Yep. Now, getting back to our controversial discussion, maybe it was a year and a half ago now that we did that? I don't remember which. We've had so many. There was one day in particular when we were rather blunt about our feelings, about the truth. Oh, when Jeremy gave his uh, opinion on... Yeah. Yeah. That was two years ago. Do you think this summer has changed any of that, or is this a case of short-term individual event success, but not necessarily changing the overall financial picture and viability of the sport itself as a business? Yeah, I I can't speak to that because I know... I mean, I can't. I can speak to it, but I don't know the the financial side of it. All right, we don't have stuff. the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. The AVP is uh, not going to share numbers with anybody. No no, 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 certainly not us. No, they don't need to. I think what's happening right now is not hurting the sport. How about that? It's not hurting the sport. Obviously, it's definitely no. the turnouts that we've had is showing that people want the sport. Um, like we've said on the show before, it's always like any business. How are you going to make money? Because you that's the point of being in business, correct, is to make money. Yes. So the steps that they're taking so far by going back to the same place that we've gone before, usually around the same time that we go, um, going back to Atlantic City the same time last year, Cincinnati's that same weekend every year, um, going to Milwaukee this year I think was a great great thing to do as well. I mean, especially Fourth of July weekend. It was just it, they dominated with their fans. Um, so maybe the question is, is this year enough to affect change in that overall equation? I think it can be. I, I think it all depends on – I mean, it depends on a lot of things, but it depends on the sp- people wanting to put money in the sport. Are they willing to put money in? Are the sponsors looking at it and saying, yeah, um, from what I understand, like Smart loves it. Okay. Um, That's good. Yeah. But there, you need a lot more of that? True. But, the, you know, they're big time. They're into it. They love it. And uh, – You know, I'll say this. Donald and his wife care about the sport. They care, not saying that any other owner hasn't cared. Maybe it's just their personality. I see it more, you know, because they're hanging out in the DJ booth a lot more. But they genuinely care about the sport and genuinely care about the players and want it to succeed. And not succeed in a way like, oh... I want it to succeed so I can make millions of dollars at this. Obviously, you want to make money at it, but they're they want it to succeed for the sport's sake. More of that, a passion, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's a passion for the sport, not necessarily a passion for whatever the financial outcome is. Correct. Um, but like I said, obviously they want you know to make money at it. So I think, like I said before, when I made said controversial comment. When people only heard the first part of it and then hear the second part, I said – That's what people do. They stop listening. But that, and that's fine. I they get enraged. And I understand. But then into some of the players' credits, we were able to talk it out and they understood what I was saying when you know, they weren't just like 
that's BS. I don't want to talk to you again. They're like, well, I, I disagree with you. I was like, that's fine. Let's talk about it. Yeah. That's a BS attitude right there. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I think, uh, where was I going with that? I don't remember. You lost my train of thought. Sorry. No, it's all right. Donald no, it's has a passion for the sport. Passion for the sport. Yes. Um, oh, I, I always, if things didn't change, if we kept doing the same thing over and over again, of course, it's not going to succeed. Um, from the seeing things that I'm seeing, they are attempting to make it better and more viable. So I have higher hopes now for the sport than I did when I made said comment. Okay, good. That, that says we're, that they're going the right direction. I absolutely agree that they're going the right direction. Okay. I like it. I had a good question from a viewer. We had a couple good interactions here. Uh, Garrett G. this week said, uh, thanks for the recommendation for Life Kitchen. Went to Life Kitchen. Nice. Loved it. Yep. Right on. You should do that if you're around. Go to Life Kitchen. I know they have been expanding what they are doing. Uh, Jeff Dittman sent me a good question a while back, I think right before vacation, uh, right before that show maybe. He wanted to know about indoor players on the beach and beach players playing indoors. Would they be as dominant? Who would be good at it? And we've, we've gone through this before a little bit. Philip. Would, would Philip still be Philip indoors? Yes. Really? I say no. Like best player in the world, Philip? Yeah. He would be the best player in the world indoor. He would or would not? No. Right. But only because he's been playing on the beach for X amount of years. If he just would have stayed indoor, could he have? For sure. He's a freak athlete. Yes. If he is as freakishly athletic on the sand, imagine that indoor. With the right coaching and the right squad. Yeah, it'd be fun. Yeah. I don't think we're going to debate the physical abilities of these guys, maybe. Eh, yeah. Maybe we will. Would he? Maybe we will. Man Anderson, would he be good on the beach? I think so. Absolutely. A little different, though. You're not predicated on speed on the beach. Correct. you got to be able to kind of kill the ball and move it around. Can Matt do everything else? Can he, can he set? I have no idea. I'm sure he could. I'm sure. I mean, yeah. A bump set if you want. Bump juice. The women's don't. The women's game, they hardly hand set at all. It's true. I think Carrie Walsh would be really good indoor. She was. Yeah. April would be good indoor. She was. Yeah. Not national team, though. No national no. team for April. National team for Carrie, 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, it's maybe some of the smaller guys like Jake and Casey. Not that they're smaller, but like Jake to me. Jake would be a tweener. Yeah, but is he dynamic enough for indoor? Does right. that make sense? That's, well, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. He's yeah, a tweener. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays basically a middle blocker position out, outdoors. Yep. Right? He's the blocking guy. But very technically sound. Yeah, but he's too small inside. He'd just get beat up for being too small. Gotcha. And then you try and put him on the outside, and is he dynamic enough to be an outside hitter? Yeah. Because it, it, indoor is so specialized. Yep, And that's what you run into is, okay, is this guy, if you're talking indoor to beach, is this guy so much of a specialist that he couldn't do the other things necessary? Yeah. Middle blockers. There are very few Jeff Nygaards in the world. Correct. Who can play middle blocker at an international level, Olympic level, inside. Correct. And that limited role, but then has the capability to come out and play at an Olympic level on the beach. Middles aren't required to do enough in the game and never have been that they – Typically are the guys you look at and go, yeah, he's going to be a good beach player. Outsides, yes. Opposites sometimes hit the ball well enough and are dynamic enough and pass the ball with just enough efficiency to make 
an outside hitter. From what I've seen, or usually, probably make a beach player. Yeah, usually the guys that do well on the beach, we're doing a little bit of everything indoor. They're usually outside hitters or setters. Look at um, Triborn. Basically played every single position at SC. Mike Lambert. Yes. Yep. Stein Metzger, setter. Long history of setters being good. Yeah. Misty May trainer. Mm-hmm. Stein Metzger. Steino. Karch Karai, who's set? Karchi. Uh, who am I thinking of? Also from UCLA. Old guy. Triple J. Handsome. No. No. Dude. Oh, I can see. Older guy, yeah. handsome. Yeah. Good looking good looking dude from UCLA. Ludies. Ricky Ludies. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Handsome man. Yeah. Sorry, my brain did not automatically go to that. I'm trying to think of some other setters. Uh, Matt Gardhoff is asking a great question. Will Taylor Crab go to the beach since his brother's doing pretty well right now? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough. Yeah. It's uh, I, I, God, he's six feet tall. Tremendous athlete. Yeah, I mean, he'd have success on the beach, I think. From some of the beach players, it, that came up this weekend. Uh, some of the beach players I spoke to think that they would be really good, especially together. Taylor and who? Trevor, his brother. And his brother? How tall is his brother? Uh, Trevor, uh, you know, I don't know. They took a ninth. Him and Billy Allen took a ninth this weekend. Was Billy blocking? No, Trevor is. Okay, so he's a bigger guy. Trevor is hmm, – how come this isn't telling me like it normally does? Yeah, if he's got a blocker, then yeah. BVB info is not telling but me. But you need a blocker. You can't You can't have two six-footers. I don't know. Correct. No, Trevor's Trevor's taller. But if Billy Allen is – he's taller than Billy Allen, and I'm going to find out how tall he is right now when I click on his name. Billy Allen is 6'2". Trevor's definitely taller than Billy. <laughs> okay. I didn't realize Billy's only 6'2". All right. He's really good, too, by the way. And on, like, a half schedule. Yeah. Gardhoff, Lucena is dominating at 6'1". And we would have said 6'4 was too small for USA until Sander proved otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, there are always the small exceptions. Of course. But six foot. It's a lot different than 6'4 if you're going to talk about Taylor Crabb playing indoors. Yeah. I'm sorry, six feet tall. If you put Taylor Crabb in front of me, I I could care less <laughs> as a hitter. If you get a guy 6'3", who's who's very technically sound, a la Samuel Poppy, that's trouble. Well, Taylor Sander has proven to be very technical with his blocking. That's yeah. trouble. The, the issue is not Taylor's ability to hit the ball. It's the it, Crabb's ability to hit the ball. The issue is being a huge blocking liability. You can't be a good help blocker on the middles, even with one arm at six feet yeah. tall. It's just not going to work against guys who are six eight yeah. and above in the middle and six six and above on the outside. Well, I think about Reed sometimes. What's Reed six three? No, Reed's six four, six, six five. four. But yeah. compared to some of the six other five. guys, he looks he's not six five, Kevin. Let's be honest. In shoes, maybe. Maybe. Um he looks tiny compared to some of those other guys out there. He does. Even when he's hitting at the block, too. Like, those guys look huge. But he is effective and is extremely athletic. Quick like a cat. And Reed, I think, would be good on the beach, too. He was. He no? was pretty good. No? Yeah, no, he would be. Uh, Reed is quick like a cat. He and Taylor are cut from the same mold. Mm -hmm. You get to a guy my size, I'm different. I'm slower than those two guys. I'm just bigger. Well, and you also have to factor in on the beach, the smaller court. Would Brad Keenan be as good on the big court? Was he as good on the big court? Doesn't he overlap or not? Maybe not. not. Mm -hmm. He does not overlap. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I Brad, don't know. Really I don't know if Brad would be fast enough to make a that's, move. That's my. That's always my concern. Yeah, to spread out enough. Brad, really good indoor. Yeah, backslide. Only guy to run a backslide, backslide. that I can think of in the last yeah. 15 years. Yeah, it's, it's always an interesting discussion and a fun one to, to think about who would do what. I mean, if you take Phil indoors, do they make him go regular foot? Do they take away the goofy foot? I'll bet they do. I'll bet no one tolerates that. Why? Why would you try to fix it? There's at this only point? one good player that I can think of. In international volleyball, since I went international in 1997, we're creeping up on freaking 20 years. It's yeah, unbelievable. You're old. But there's only one guy I can think of who was good. His name was Joel. Played for the Brazilian national team, played in the Brazilian leagues. He was goofy foot, and he was good. It looks and is awkward, and I think those mechanics, this is kind of a Carl McGowan thing. Yeah. I think those mechanics eventually catch up with you because there are so many players there's so much less space to work with because i've watched phil outdoors he doesn't thunder every ball doesn't need to no he doesn't and that's partly my point he can just place it here place it there just place it here you can't do that inside sean rooney had some success on the beach play with brian lewis yeah yep. another player who who will place the ball a lot yep you indoors yeah, swing away. there are no places yeah <laughs> And to generate the amount of force necessary to annihilate the ball consistently, you have a hard time with being goofy foot, I think, because the mechanics are all off. Everything's going opposite directions. I just think Phil's that freak athlete that would it could translate if, if he could wanted. Be. If he wanted to, I think it could translate. He could be Joel. Yeah, he could be better, maybe. Yeah, I think Rosie would be good indoor too. How tall is Rosie? Six four, at least six five, maybe. Jumps. Yeah, Rosie. Would I be mean, good. out of the gym, he'd be good. Yeah. I don't think you could have Rosie in a system where you had a coach and a team. And from from my understanding of Rosie's story, I don't know Rosie well. Yeah, that's the, he fits the beach mold well, and that he can do his thing. The beach is way better for Rosie. Yeah, he can control his Correct. his entire destiny. Correct, and it's been a good one. But it doesn't seem like he is he's uh, ready for the military, which is basically what the national team yeah. is. But John Hyden, obviously, we know would be good indoor. But Triborn, obviously, good in college. John Hyden was good indoor. Yeah. For sure. But I think Tri's game now is suited better for the beach as opposed to indoor. Because he's that in-between. He's that in-between size. Yeah, he's a, he's a tweener. It's like when they try and take some college middles and turn them into outsides in the international game. Because they're not big enough to play middle inside. Yeah. And I'm sorry, we can have the height discussion, but if you are 6'5", you are not playing middle internationally. Yeah. You're just not. Not anymore, you can't. Because with the quick attack, you have no time. If you're outside and and you're six foot four, six foot three, you're a little undersized on the outside, you have still enough time to be dynamic to get there. If you're six foot five in the middle, you have no time. There is you could be as dynamic as you want. You could be some sort of tiger, and it wouldn't matter. You're not getting off the ground fast enough to reach the ball when someone who is six foot eight and above, and in many cases way above hits the ball mm-hmm. off a quick attack. You are just going to be ineffective. And teams will run the middle on you all day long, and that means that your team will put somebody else bigger in. Yeah. And I think that that break point for the outside hitter comes at about six foot two, because you run into the same thing. If you stick a six-foot guy out there, other teams will tear him up. I don't care how dynamic he is. The offense is too fast, and the guys are too big. Uh don't worry about the collage, Matt. We all know what you would do with a tiger hitting the bick out of the. Would be awesome. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just a single picture. Yeah, we just we know. So, we're trying to block. <laughs> just 
Well, think about those paws. Paws high. Well, think about what. Get Reed's, your paws ready. Think about what Reed's face would look like if you know the tiger was blocking next to him and came down on his face. Like uh, who broke his know. who broke his face? Max Holt. Yeah. Or think Maxwell Holt. If Maxwell you're Holt. To yeah. In sports. Think how how his face would look then. I don't know. Do tigers have sharp elbows? They don't even really have elbows. But isn't it? Yes, they do. But isn't they it? Good, the other way. Isn't it going to rake down though? Like, aren't you going to get the paw? And the He's paw got fur. Your face? If I get hit with fur instead of like a bony Max Sad. Holt elbow, it's going to hurt. It's a tiger. Kevin. Does he rake the claw after? Is that what you're saying? It's a tiger. <laughs> First of all, tigers have really short legs and a long upper body. There's no way that they could jump. They are, vertical position. I, they if, are if doing the, a run. If they do the standing and like their paws are just by the head. Yes. If you let them stay tiger style down low, they got all four on the ground, then jump up. Yes, I give you massive vertical there. Correct. They might be four paws above the net. Correct. Reed would be screwed. <laughs> How many how many punctured balls are you going to go through? Yeah, no doubt. You're going to have some problems. Yeah. Or they call it touch. How do you know? Well, because the ball is deflated on your claw. <laughs> That's how I know you touched it. I didn't touch it. Yeah. Can someone get this off as me? Try, as you're trying to shake it off. <laughs> oh, good point, Texas Troll. This is almost like the mascot challenge during playoffs. Maybe oh, we need to bring ooh. that in. Actual ball play with the mascots. That Because we've matched it up before. If mascot we, versus mascot, basically brawl style. Now, now what you need to take into account is physically, can they play? We're doing it like because you the, have to think about six tornadoes trying to play volleyball. True. Well, uh, I think the cyclones aren't going to aren't going to stand a chance. Yeah, weather related things may not do well. Like, write that down. Kind of like the uh, the T Rex you have on your shirt right now would not be good at volleyball. T Rex trying to wipe his butt. Yeah, on my shirt. Yeah, yeah, boy. All right, so. Sadly for Brandon Rosenthal, he's wishing they were the Lady Bears instead of the Bisons because he stand no chance as the Bisons. No. A bunch of Bison roaming around on the court. What is that going to do? First of all, as an animal, you have to be able to stand on your hind legs. Now, hold on. This begs the question, too. Are we going to take the actual animal or the mascot interpretation of said animal? Meaning? For instance. Like, isn't a bald eagle a bald eagle? Well, a bald eagle... Or, or a red bird is a red bird, right? Unless... Like a cardinal? No, a cardinal's just Yeah, a cardinal's get. just a tiny little... I mean, you get six cardinals out there. Yeah, like just it's running like around. kind of like your shirt. Running around chirping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. I mean, I don't want to see a cardinal dig a ball. That's obscene. Uh, but you have some cardinals running around. Or you have the interpretation of a cardinal, which is big, strong, standing upright, huge head, big beak kind of thing. They would potentially be really good blockers like that because you just put your wingspan out there and you cover the entire net from pin to pin. Okay. Well, but, then, but then can I power through your feathers? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying, Kevin? This is going to make the mascot yeah. challenge way better. Write it down. Yeah. You're welcome, it everybody. Is now, it is now an interpretation of how said mascot <laughs> would play volleyball. We need our fans We're to have come up blowouts. with the rules with the rules of the uh, mascot challenge. There are going to be some blowouts. And will Penn State do better? Keep an eye on the, on the Collins. Yeah, Will Penn State do better now? With their, their sophisticated. Their Nittany Lion can stand on its hind legs. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you could wear a tuxedo and play if you're a Nittany Lion yeah. because they're very refined. I think that BYU Cougar now doesn't win that matchup. I had them winning last year. It's just, it gets all wild and crazy. They spike balls out for sure. For sure. They're like, they're a terminal cat. Who was the, was it the Badger last year that you took the photo with? Yeah. Now, could the Badger play? He's going to have a problem reaching past his head with his arms. Yeah. That's a big melon. Yeah. 
It is a large hat size. It's like a, it's like a sixteen and a half hat. It's like a six eight clothing hat. <laughs> for the, for the tall and athletic badger. Yep. <laughs> do you know a tall and athletic badger? <laughs> if you do, yeah. Do we have a caller? Nope. Okay. I keep looking. We have a, a, a surprise caller. I, I don't even need. We don't need intro. We're just a resume. Go into it. Well, we need intro. Well, I, you know, maybe, maybe maybe we go anti-intro. Actually, we need them to call first because we we uh, we admonish the listener for not knowing. Oh uh, yeah, I'm really hungry, so the caller needs to hurry up because <laughs> our show's getting close to the end. It is close to the end, but this <laughs> caller this caller texted me said, "I'm I'm free now." Oh, I love it. Eleven fifty-three. Any caller? You would be the first to know. Mascot challenge is going to be good. This next year, it's going to be, or this fall, not even this next year. It is this fall. It's going to be solid weather phenomenon who have dominated before. Yeah. Cause are going to really, yeah. If you're a tornado, there's no you just six whip, tornadoes. Yeah. You just whip people up. You whip the ball back and forth. I'm going to, I'm going to bet you get called for four touches a lot. If you're a tornado. And also like on the toss to serve, who knows where it's going? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, you're going to have to have a lot of extra balls around for all these ferocious mascots. There are a lot of sharp objects, beaks, claws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's going to be there's going to be some serious equipment usage. Mizuno and and Moulton, whoever's sponsoring the tournament is going to be very happy because there will have to be some <laughs> some high ball purchase numbers. Yeah. to get through. They may have to come up with a ball patch kit and they have a whole new product for the mascot challenge. Um, something we should talk about next week are two things. Um, Michael Sam currently not making the Rams. Yeah, is that related? Correct. To his sexuality. And I just saw that. And is Josina Anderson reporting that he has changed his showering habits <laughs> now that he's been cut? So funny. And also, um, Ursay. Yeah. Banned for six games, fine, 500K. I saw that. It came in right as well. Yeah, on so air. we'll talk about that next week. Uh, we do have a caller. Right on. So here we go. So here's the anti-intro for those that uh, have lived under a rock, don't care about volleyball, yeah, have never heard of the sport or anything around the sport, mm-hmm. don't know what the meaning of a pink hat is, never heard of player of the century, have no clue what they what they're missing with this sport. You, are Sorry, you doing Sorry. something? <laughs> exactly. Oh, nice. Please welcome into the net live once again, head coach for the women's national team. Player of the century, gold medalist in everything he's ever entered, Karch Karai. Karch. Hello, guys. How are you doing today? Hey, fresh off practice. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for calling in. We know you guys are busy preparing, getting ready for world champs. Of course, underway for the men already. Tell me about this time period. We were following the the scores as I was driving into the gym today. The guys battling hard and uh, loved how they fought back from that 2-0 deficit and then just fell a little short. I couldn't see it on TV, but I heard the... There was a contested call at 16-15, was hoping uh, that video challenge would help them out, but to no avail. So they go on to the next one. Yeah, the Iranians actually went with the set over at 14-all, which was remarkable. They just set the ball over the side. That was kind of crazy. Karch, uh, tell us a little bit about your team. You guys are in between Grand Prix, which is World League for men, Grand Prix for women. I think your tournament's a lot harder, and now World Championships. Tell me about managing this training schedule and, and time. What have you been really focused on? 
Well, uh, we had, a, frankly, a very disappointing Grand Prix by not making finals week. Uh, we dug a big hole for ourselves in that first weekend. You really only have three weekends. We traveled to Turkey and uh, competed there and then to Brazil and then to Thailand. Had a nice, long and challenging travel schedule. Played a lot of the teams. Five of our nine matches were against teams that moved on and um, uh, just came out with too few points that first week and losing in four to Russia and losing in five to Turkey and then uh, taking five to beat Japan. So uh, the main disappointments were uh, that unlike uh, our team in the training gym a lot and playing uh, those four matches where we played Brazil and we played hard and battled hard in USA Cup on USA soil, where it's much easier to do that. Uh, we we got infected with a little bit of hesitation and doubt that first weekend, and we had people stopping and uh, balls falling onto the onto the hardwood or onto the uh, the surface without people getting after it, and so uh, that cost us, and we found uh, we're just never quite able to dig out of that hole. So uh, a few of the things that we learned about, we needed to be uh, playing with a little more conviction. We've certainly been working on that in this gym, uh, back in our home gym in Anaheim at American Sports Center. Uh, we also needed to up our level of serving a bit. We were actually passing at a very high level, setting at a high level. Our offense was running pretty well, but our scoring side of the equation was struggling a little bit, so we've been working on shoring up our our servant, and some of our out-of-system swing choices weren't so hot uh, in terms of, oh, you know, when you're a left-side hitter, as you well know, Kevin, and you have some uh, very strong blocker across the net in the middle, a middle blocker coming across, and a much better target to go at, uh, at the end, attacking that edge of the block rather than the uh, the bulk of the block in the middle. And so we're working on some things to get smarter in that. And uh, so I guess the only benefit to having the Grand Prix we did not want to have is we got home a week earlier and we get an extra week of training. And so we must put that, we we got to make that into a benefit and uh, and put it to good use. So we get three and a half weeks of training instead of two and a half by having a lousy uh, Grand Prix and not qualifying for finals week. Well, that maybe isn't the end of the world. You do get that extra rest. And you make a, an interesting point about taking the training environment to the competition gym. What can you guys do to make that easier for the players, or what can the players do and focus on in practice to make that a more consistent uh, feature of your team and of the game? Well, there are some things that are a little difficult to replicate, and one of them is the USA. It's not new. It's not new for this year, but we always have a very challenging Grand Prix travel schedule. Um, we never host, so we uh, so we played. You know, we went ten time zones over to Turkey, and then came back six or seven to Brazil, which is still not our own time zone and certainly not our own floor. And then forward another eight or nine to uh, to Thailand. And so we're adjusting to the time each week. That's not something we can replicate as well unless we decided here in our own gym to train at 3 a.m. Right. And the next day train at 7 p.m. or something like that to mix it up. And we can't really do that because uh, as great a gym as this is here in uh, in Anaheim, uh, it's still a very warm time as we're just getting into the first days of September and the afternoons are a little too warm without um, without air conditioning to, to be able to switch around our time. So that one is a, 
Um, it's not a new challenge, but it's not a challenge that can necessarily be fully replicated in our gym. But certainly we can make other challenges uh, uh, in terms of setting a team out there and maybe they're behind by a bunch and they've got, you know, they've gotten out to a, a slow start and uh, we've got some some opportunities to reset as a group. Uh, we had some slow starts on that trip, and that'll happen sometimes. A good team will come out and punch you right in the mouth. So what do you do? How do you respond? And we've been, uh, we've been working on some of those things in terms of how we communicate and band together as a group. Ultimately, the goal is to add up to more than the sum of our parts. So you guys just missed going to the final round, but give me some positives from the event. Who impressed kind of some individual bright spots? Uh, a real positive was the level that we passed at. Um, and a number of those passers involved were Kayla Banworth at the at the Bro, as we call it, the Libro spot, uh, Kelsey Robinson and, um, and Kim Hill the first weekend, and then Jordan joined us uh, after she recovered from her sprained ankle. So she wasn't there weekend one, but then joined us for weekend two in Brazil. And so our offense ran at a nice level. We first ball sided out at a nice level, sided out in general. Uh, but what we didn't do is uh, we kind of, as I said, a little behind on the serving side of things. So positives there uh, were the fact that we had some, um, we had strong passing, uh, pretty strong setting. In fact, we outplayed in a number of departments, outblocked out-defended a number of people, but we definitely got uh, got beaten in the out-of-system equation. There are some nice uh, arms out there, like uh, Akoshaleva from Russia, who will, you can throw up a high ball to and take a really nice high hard swing. And so we've been working on, on some of that. But those are some of the positives. Another, of course, is that uh, both on USA Cup and in Grand Prix, we have a number of younger players who have only been with the program maybe a few months, like a Kelsey Robinson or a Tori Dixon, or just 2013 and 2014, like a Kelly Murphy or a Kim Hill and others, of course. And the youth of this program and the depth is a really nice thing to have. We consider ourselves, I consider myself very fortunate to be able to um, have a college system that uh, helps restock. I think lots of countries around the world are um, uh, envious of the of the system that we have that has so many people playing. It has a downside too, of course, and that is um, that lots of people, especially in the outside hitter position, are just too much of a specialist when you allow six, uh, 15 substitutions in college. Yeah. They don't play the same game. So lots of passers or, or outside hitter, passer outside hitters really aren't prepared for the, for the level that they have to, uh, of, of performance that they have to um, exert or, uh, or give, I guess, every day in all six phases of the game, but especially passing and hitting. But there are a few who come out, like Kelsey Robinson this year, who had a, a wonderful Big Ten season and was uh, quite well prepared for life after college volleyball. And so we get high numbers, and not necessarily all of them are all that prepared, but a lot of them are great learners, and they come in. And we have middles who come into our gym and haven't served a lot. Right. And so they, because of the substitution rules, and so they have to learn quickly, and generally they do a nice job of it. Um, they're, they're, they, the, the women uh, 
cherish their education a lot, and uh, and they are learners, and that's a critical. That's their number one job on this team, so it's great. It seems like we've talked about this for a couple of years that the depth that you guys have on the women's side is unprecedented. I've in my international experience, men's and women's, I've never seen a gym with so much talent. And you go back even further. I don't know if you can think of a gym that had as much talent as you guys have from top to bottom. I wonder how tough is this selection process on you, the coaching staff. Uh, it's certainly not easy. That's uh, a great problem to have. Um, and I would imagine lots of other national team staffs around the world would like to have some of those problems of how to pick a, um, oh, typically to how to pick 22 to put on, um, an eligibility roster, like, uh, the pre roster for each tournament. Uh, and those of course are the names from which you pick we pick, every team picks, to choose their 12 or 13 or 14 to travel with. And so then, of course, we face another decision, and we'll face that one in the next week, week and a half, and that is which 14 are going to uh, to travel with us to make a serious run at, uh, at something special at the World Championship, something that the USA women have come uh, very close to doing but not actually stood at the, at the top of the podium yet. So um, those are really good problems to have. And when people are working hard and working mindfully and learning in here, they make our job tough. That choice, those choices, tough. And um, and like I said, we consider ourselves lucky to to have those kinds of problems. How many spots do you think are still undecided for your roster that you will have to pick here shortly for the 2014 World Championships? Um, let's see. I would I'd say probably four or five, and that's not uh, unusual. Uh, someone who, for example, who is uh, attempting to make a run for world championships and a little bit of it is uh, how her health is coming along is uh, Krista Hermato, who played some very strong matches for us early, uh, actually in Montreux at the end of May and early June, and since then has been working to uh, address some things physically. And so there's uh, that would be an example of a... Um, I guess of a of a question mark or um, or an uncertainty uh, in, as we go forward toward choosing a travel roster. But as you well know, and lots of coaches know that the the probably and then I've heard this from people like uh, Doug Beal and Marv Dunphy, and certainly I sat in and was involved in the decisions leading into London. But often. The uh, out of taking any group of 12, it's probably the eight or nine um, uh, that are more clear. Maybe that would be something you might call close to a starting group. Mm -hmm. And the last few are the, are the toughest ones because they involve performance and uh, they involve lots of things. Uh, you know, a good example on uh, the men's side would be somebody like Scott Zizinski, who didn't right. play a lot in Beijing, but had a real impact on the chemistry of that team. And so those those factors come into play for people who aren't on the court more.
Absolutely. Uh, also, we've had a lot of questions about the results of your team, what that means for 2016. When do you think your core group for 16 will really start to take shape when you guys start to look forward? Because it seems like you're still in the midst of trying to pick between this tremendous amount of talent that you have. When will you guys shift from sort of an evaluation on talent and team construction now to an evaluation versus are they going to make the team in 16 and make a contribution there? Uh, certainly next year we're going to have to focus down a little bit with um, the numbers. We, uh, at lots of times this year, carried over 30 athletes in the interest of evaluation and development. Uh, but at some point those numbers have to drop down and more of the focus has to be on the people who are going to have more impact qualifying for which that alone is a uh, a very tough process qualifying for the olympics that's number one and then if we are able to qualify then uh, focusing on the actual olympic competition itself and since that qualification process starts next year actually starts in late may because there is a zone qualifier i think it's called the champions cup um Norseca, that's our North American, Central American, and Caribbean zone. That's uh, the zone in which the USA uh, resides for all international qualification and competitions. The Norseca Champions Cup uh, is going to be a focus of ours in the second half of May next year. We want to obviously very strongly want to finish first or second there because that is a qualifier to the World Cup which is the first Olympic qualifier. And it is right. always held in Japan. And next year, it's two and a half months earlier than it's ever been before. Well, uh, it'll actually be August 22nd instead of a normal early November start. So the process gets compressed. So things have to be wow. more clear at an earlier time than probably uh, in previous four-year Olympic cycles. So that's going to um, force us, as you asked, when does it get clearer or start to uh, start to, um, I guess, get focused down to a smaller group? It's going to be next year for those reasons. All right, we have a couple of names that people keep asking about too, and their status. Uh, Destiny Hooker, what is her status with your program? Destiny, uh, excited for her. She started a family uh, late last year in December, and she is still working her way into a, uh, I guess, an international level of fitness. And so we'll see how things go for her as she's going to play in uh, Korea in the next club season. We'll have, uh, she won't be the only American there. Nicole Fawcett will be another one. And then we'll see how things go after that. Um, uh, but earlier this year, I think she probably uh, pushed it a little in getting back to Puerto Rico, um, trying to get back to action at a, um, at, a, at an accelerated pace. And I don't know if that was necessarily, uh, hopefully, uh, athletes don't feel the need to, to do that over the course of a long four-year process. Yeah, we we'd heard some rumors too about suspension from different sources that she had had some some difficulties with the program. Was any of that true, or has any of that been an issue? Uh, 
uh, it's mostly a, uh, a, a level of fitness, and we're also working. Uh, you know, we have, a, I guess, a certain uh, culture that we are working for in here, and so certainly we're looking for lots of buy-in from lots of athletes, all of the athletes, in terms of what it is that we're trying to do as a group. And um, we would like uh, Destiny to be able to take part, I guess, in that type of culture also. One of our listeners also asked about Logan Tom and any possible return of the multi-time Olympian. Uh, We looked at it pretty early on and um, decided that we're going with uh, a younger group of outside hitters people like uh, Jordan Larson-Burbach and um, Megan Hodge, who is also starting a family, now Megan Hodge-Easy. And so she's uh, a question mark going forward. We'll see what uh, how things work out for her next year. Uh, but the focus so far, uh, the focus for this uh, four-year Olympic cycle has been um, a younger crew at the, uh, at the left side pin. Karch, uh, one more question before we let you go. Thanks very much for the time. We've talked a lot about managing your team in regards to the players. How about managing your staff? Tell us a little bit about how that has been going. You've had a couple of changes in your first couple of seasons here, and how do you feel overall about how the staff construction and implementation of your processes have gone in the last couple of years? Uh, I really like the level that we're at. Um, uh, or the personnel that we have and the level at which they perform. We've got a really talented and hardworking staff, and um, we've got Jamie Morrison in place as our top assistant, uh, Tom Black, who is not able to be with us on a full-time basis in these first two years of the Olympic cycle because he's also the head coach at Loyola Marymount. Uh, our technical coordinator, Joe Trinzi. We've had, um, as our head resident coach, probably one of our biggest upgrades for this year is to have somebody with us full-time from May <clears throat> through September who is a, uh, a part of the coaching staff. And then we go when we go away for something like Grand Prix, uh, is able to keep it running seamlessly as uh, half the team leaves the country and the other half continues their development process and their learning and pushing to try to qualify for the next travel roster. And that's David Hunt, who uh, as recently as late last year was assisting Gary Sato with the uh, Japanese men's national team, also helps Mark Dunphy out a lot at Pepperdine. Uh, We've got a fantastic (laughs) certified athletic trainer in Jill Wasmack. And so, um, that's uh, kind of the uh, the core of our group, and we've got lots of help from lots of other people too, lots of volunteers and uh, and other consultant coaches that we get into the mix. And so um, we've I, I don't think I could be much happier, uh, or I can't really even picture a group that could be better in terms of um, the effort and uh, and the talent that they work at and coach at and teach at. Is it challenging for you at all to manage that staff? Is that something that uh, you felt coming would be a, a challenge for you or something you felt would be easy? And how has that worked out from a standpoint of you personally? 
well, every day I'm working in this job, I'm learning, uh, and I sure hope to be learning. I aspire to be learning every day because that's what we ask of our athletes, so that's what we've got to do as coaches and be models for learning and improving and growing. And so um, uh, you can work as an assistant with any national team and still not be fully prepared for what comes next, uh, and that is to uh, not just fulfill the duties of an assistant coach, but to fulfill all of the other duties that come along with it in terms of uh, setting budgets and managing large groups of people, large groups of athletes and significant groups of staff. And um, so that's been certainly a, um, a great learning process for me. And um, there's no way we're going to go through one of these things without everybody making mistakes. In fact, if we're not making mistakes, as we tell our athletes, we're not, we're not pushing our boundaries far enough and or stretching ourselves and not learning at a fast enough pace if we're playing it so safe that we're never making mistakes. Karch Karai is the player of the century and now women's head coach for the women's national team here in the United States. They will be in action in Italy September 23rd to October 5th contesting the world championships. Karch, thanks very much for spending some time with us. Uh, we know you have an incredibly busy schedule and getting ready and best of luck. We'll be uh, following eagerly on TV and everywhere we can when you guys start the tournament. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Have a great one. Awesome. Thanks, Karch. All right, Karch Karai, there you go. You wanted to hear from somebody important on the end of the show, Jeremy? Did that, did that interrupt your mealtime a little bit, that, buddy? I was okay to postpone <laughs> my lunch to hear Karch talk with us. <laughs> Although there was one question we didn't get to that Matt would have liked you to ask. Oh, I didn't see it. What Who would it? have won a joust between a cardinal and a tiger? That's what he would have liked you to ask Karch Karai. <laughs> he would have said a Bruin bear. For sure. <laughs> No, uh, uh, good stuff there. Good to hear from Karch about the, these roster decisions and what's going on. Man, it is, he's got a tough job. What a, uh, he and Jamie Morrison and Tom Black and those guys, I, uh, I, I would have a tough time sitting in that spot. It'd be fun. I think it's a fun problem, as he said. Oh. Uh, a, a good a problem to have. Yeah. But, uh, man, it's a problem, though. You have so many good players. There's always, and maybe not as much in volleyball because you don't have as many eyes on it as you do other sports, but let's say he does make roster choices. There's going to be, oh, maybe you should have done this, should have done that. Especially if they don't do as well, they're like, oh, you should have done. You know, that's you always have that backlash too, which I find um, that's part of the dynamic of all of that. Worse on the women's side than the men's in the United States because there are far fewer choices for the men. So gotcha. when Karch is talking about, you know, hey, you have your eight or nine that you know are going. These are the players who are going to play all the time. The question is you have three to six more spots, depending upon the tournament, to fill out. Yeah. What's your philosophy mm -hmm. with those spots? He mentioned Scott Tazinski, fantastic example of a guy who, are you going to start Scott? Are you going to play Scott a lot of time in the Olympics? He played a little bit, came in and served well in 08. Uh, but, but Scott's real main benefit, main skill Main contribution, and a huge contribution, is travel, camaraderie, going hard in practice every single day, his upbeat attitude. All that matters. For sure. Tremendously. Especially, we were talking to Reed earlier about the grind of a world championships, the grind of an Olympic Games, the different tournament formats. A guy like Tuzinski, hugely important. 
Yeah. Hugely important and, and makes a monster contribution, even though the casual viewer of the 2008 Olympic Games does not know who that guy is with the TZ at the beginning of his name. Has no clue how to say it, what he does, why he's there. Doesn't know. But the people internally know the contribution that, that Scott made to that program and the stabilizing force that he can be. So I think there are a lot more choices for Karch because you can take the group with three or four individuals. You can take the group a completely different direction mm-hmm. from a standpoint of off the court. And all that stuff matters immensely. For sure. Immensely. Um, so, yeah, very interesting stuff there. Uh, good to hear, Karch, about, about all these different players and, and something they cope with. You heard about it. Destiny Hooker started a family. Megan Hodge starting a family. That's that's something to balance. Yeah. The desire of, of these women to start a family and in a marriage and have children, and that impacts greatly the training capabilities and schedule for the women's side of the program. Something else to deal with you don't deal with on the men's side. So very complicated process, but they have Karch Cry there, USA Volleyball, going through and managing that for them. So uh, good to hear from uh, Karchy. Sorry, Karch. <laughs> really? Already? Was that, that Gardhoff? Oh, of course that was Gardhoff. <laughs> he, I, I got that during the Karch interview, and I decided I couldn't show you during the interview. Oh, it's fantastic. He sent it to our Facebook page, and I will re- Post it as well. That's fantastic.